This is Med School Stories. Today we're talking with Sarah Kate Roblo. She is a first year medical student at LSU, relationship in medical school, the patriarchal relationship between a doctor and the patient, tattoo macrophages, mRNA vaccines, whether she likes her coffee black or with sugar. We talk about it all in this podcast. Check out on Instagram for shorter clips of this podcast. But if you're here listening to the whole conversation, we went on for two and a half hours because we were just, neither of us would shut up and we're having so much fun. So thank you for listening. And without further ado, here we go. Okay. Thank you so much for joining me, Sarah. I'm super excited to have this interview with you. I'm excited too. How are you doing This is the first time we've actually face to face. I want to do this podcast in a somewhat like chronological order. So can we start with what, like the metrics about you for the five people who are going to listen to this that don't know anything about you? Can you start with where you go to school, where you went to undergrad, and where you are on your journey right now? So my name is Sarah Kate Roblo. Hello. Um, I am in medical school at um, LSU Health Sciences Center in Shreveport, Louisiana. I went to undergrad at the University of Louisiana at Lafayette, in Lafayette, Louisiana, I majored in, what did I major in? I just totally <laughs> blinked out. Wow, it, it feels like it's been forever, but it's only been like six months. It's the uh, I, I majored in biology with a concentration in pre-medical and allied health sciences with minors in ballet and chemistry. And now I'm a medical student. Ballet and chemistry? That's awesome. Yes, thank you. Um, I know we met, like we said about the Inky giveaway, and that's when we met um, Rest Study. It was me, you, Rest Studies, and I think Sarah, no, Danny, the tired pre-med. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, I haven't talked to some of those, some of them in forever too. I wonder how they're doing. I'm going to check up on them. We should. I'm going to message them in the chat after this and see what's going on. I feel like with yeah. the pre-med page, like you go hard for a bit and then like you disappear because I disappeared I- for like three months. I just went on and I just got back from a disappearance time school January in particular was boom 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 with uh stuff to do yeah and things to get done for sure and I always feel bad because I feel like I leave people hanging but I really started that page for me and you know for me to for myself to look back on and if I can help someone in the process that's great but it's not really for anybody else but myself (laughs) that's kind of how I feel too about this like pre-med page and then podcasts and blogs it's a way for me to be creative and pass the time and hopefully help one or two people along the road yeah yeah this is super cool um I don't even know where to begin starting a podcast but I paint and I do other things like that so that's good <laughs> also I want to get into your hobbies later but for right now um so I was reviewing your page I was Instagram stalking you and I saw that oh. you went an early decision program like me I did. Oh, did you do early decision too? I didn't know you did that. I did. And that's something like a lot of people have asked me about, and I haven't really had the time to kind of go into it. But can you tell me about um, why you did the early decision program? And then what compelled you, what compelled you to apply to it? And would you recommend it to others? Yeah. So when they, when we have a uh, pre-professional society um, at UL, and they're really good about exploring bringing in deans and having them talk about their own programs, but just also explaining the process of applying to medical school or dental school, if that's the route you want to take. And early decision was explained to us many times. And I was like, you know, I'm a strong candidate, but I don't want to put out, I always felt like I was putting my eggs in one basket if I did that. When in reality, it's not that way at all. I actually decided 
kind of last minute to do early decision. So last minute, in fact, that I moved my MCAT test date up a month oh, to wow. have a support for me to apply early decision. Yeah. Um, my advisor was like, what's, what's one month? You're fine. <laughs> um, and didn't end up being fine, obviously, because I'm here. But <laughs> I, you know, it's really, it's a really great thing if you know where you want to end up. So for me, after some thinking, I knew that I wanted to end up back in Shreveport. This is my hometown. This is where I grew up. I've got yeah. a great support system up here. A lot of my family live up here and I've got, you know, a good mix of classmates from high school that are now in medical school with me and classmates that came up from UL that I get to, you know, show my hometown to. And even so, though there's not a ton to do, there are some things that make it cool. So is that program specific to your school? And like, so with mine, it targets people like in our area to try and kind of bring them up because I'm from an underserved area. So they want to like target people from our university to kind of funnel them into medical school. It is not. We do have a program that we just started um, with Grambling State University in Louisiana um, to get their students involved and possibly put them on the path to come into our school. But early decision, not every school does it, but we it's through AMCAS. Um, so there was a page on the AMCAS application that I had to almost like a contract check off and say, I'm only going to apply to yeah. this one school. And if I get in, that's it, I'm done. And if not, I can send my stuff wherever else after the time period um, that yeah. they have. The same the, for us. Yeah. Like in the Texas version, they have like on the application where you check a box and it's like, I am only applying to one of these schools. And if I get right. in, I can't go anywhere else. Yeah, because I know Texas has its own application. I mm -hmm. didn't apply to anywhere else but Shreveport. So I didn't have to use the Texas application. So what are the pros and cons of it? Uh, off the top of my head, I'm thinking you probably saved a lot of money not having to apply to like 100 schools. Definitely saves a lot of money to do that. Um, I only had to pay the application fee. And then I think you get one medical school off the bat for the MCAS application. And then everything after that is like maybe 50 to $70. Yeah. Someone fact check me on that. But it's it feels like it's been a while. Um, pros for me was, it was, you know, the location and all that just it has to it has a lot to do with the school choice uh -huh. that you're looking at but also i didn't have the stress of waiting for an answer the magic program, yeah right so i knew by Oct like the first week of october that i was going to medical school and so i could then relax and have fun the rest of my senior year of college because i went in straight out of undergrad um, i didn't have the weight of waiting on an acceptance or a rejection letter on my, you know, on my shoulders. And there was essentially no pressure. Um, yeah. Still wanted to do well, still graduated. That's a huge blow to have that time to just relax. Cause I got it October 1st too. And like, we're in what now? Um, fuck, I can't remember the month, February. And I haven't done anything since October. <laughs> yeah, it's, it takes a lot of stress and a lot of, um, you know, waiting out of the equation because your, your decision's made. It's almost mm -hmm. not necessarily made for you, but it's made for you, whether, you know, if you get that, yes, that's it. Um, a lot of people are going to feel like they're putting all their eggs in one basket. What made you finally decide, like, this is the school I want to go to? I feel like it was mostly the support system for you, it sounds like. Yeah, the support system for sure. Um, you know, having my family up here, I'm familiar with the area. I, the stress of thinking about the stress of words are hard. <laughs> thinking, of, thinking of the stress of trying to 
adapt to a new city because, you know, one of the other options I was thinking about was LSU Health, New Orleans. And I've never lived in New Orleans. Um, it is a big pretty, city. quote unquote, you know, Louisiana, it's not tough, you know, full of a ton of big cities. All of our big cities have a small town feel to yeah. them, but New Orleans is definitely a bigger city and it's very metropolitan, lots of traffic. Um, you know, having to move to a completely new city, like five hours away from my family. And, you know, the place I grew up was daunting for me. Uh And I have done high school programs through my medical school now and um, their outreach programs that were really great. So I had an idea of the type of education I was going to get when I came here and seeing old mentors that I had when I was in high school and making new connections in a place that what's the yeah. way I don't not not necessarily the hometown of it, hometown advantage but feeling comfortable in this atmosphere was really important to me um yeah everybody's familiar with you everybody wants you to succeed they've known you since right. high school right yeah and you know everyone says oh well if you stay in state to go to college you can go to grad school somewhere if you go to medical school in state, you can go to residency somewhere else. Well, for me, if I continue on the path that I'm on, it's either New Orleans or out of state. That's it. (laughs) As far as residency goes. Have you thought of any cons or anything like you, not necessarily regret, but something that is something other pre-meds should consider if they're looking into an early decision program? Right. So some of the biggest cons that were laid out for me were if you get a not now, because I think that's really the no, they can, they can tell you no. They can either tell you, <laughs> yes, you've been accepted off the bat. They'll put, they'll either say no, not right now. And you stay in the applicant pool with everybody else. Uh, um, and yeah. then you can just get a flat out no, which means that no. Yeah. They release you late. I know they like release you after the first month where the actual application opens. So then like you have to kind of scramble to get yourself together for other schools. Right. Is that kind of what right. you're talking about? So, yeah, so they release, like, after you get your decision um, or some kind of answer, and I think they have to give you one by October 1st. Um, mm. That seems a little late to be applying in the cycle, but, sure. you know, if you're applying early decision, you already know you're a strong applicant off the bat, so it shouldn't make too much of a difference if you apply in October versus August, um, mm-hmm. unless the school is just super strict about rolling admissions and all that kind of stuff, but that was my biggest thing. You know, if you get seen in, you know, a smaller applicant pool, like you do with early decision, you're still on that school's list. If they don't tell you yes, right away. And they don't just tell you flat out. No. Um, so it could be to your advantage if that is, you know, where you would like to end up, hopefully for them to see you again later in their regular applicant pool. I agree with everything you said. That's the same like stuff that I had to deal with, with mine. And the reason I decided to do mine is because they have a scholarship. Oh, wow. So, that's great. Yeah. So we got lucky that some people from uh, University of Texas are funding their new school in Austin and then the new school in uh, where I'm from, the Rio Grande Valley. So they had a 50% scholarship. So I was like, bet I'm in. Yeah. I wish they had more of that here. But as far as uh, finances go, we're pretty affordable. Um mm-hmm you know, I could be going to a private medical school where each semester is over $60,000. And, you know, for an entire year, I'm paying less than that. 
in yes. gigantic amounts of student loans, but for sure. The last person I had on the podcast, she had gotten into Harvard Medical School and she looked at the finances and she was like, mm, I don't know if this mm. is something I really want to do. I'm okay. Yeah, same with Rice. She was amazing. She got into Rice, Cornell, Harvard, Southwestern, um, <clears throat> John her. Hopkins. And then she goes to UTSW, which is a great research school, but it's not like an Ivy League, you know? Yeah. Because cost is a factor. Um, so we talked a little about early decision programs, but I kind of want to go back to your undergrad and maybe yeah. just start with what inspired you to go into healthcare from the first, like, when did you first know you wanted to be a physician or go into the healthcare field? Were you somebody <laughs> that like you grew up and you wanted to be a physician? Was there physicians in your families that guided you? I officially knew that I wanted to do human health care because for a while in middle school I wanted to be a veterinarian that's so and funny when human when I was a little, little kid, my mom likes to remind me that I wanted to be a crane operator when I was five so that sounds really Louisiana um, shout out to the crane operators uh from a wannabe crane operator when I was five like the big uh, ones that put together giant buildings yes, I would even drive by them I'm like mom I want to drive that and she's that like that does sound pretty cool <laughs> it's fine you can do it but middle school I wanted to be a vet and then Around sophomore, junior year of high school, when I did the program I talked about, it's through um, area health education centers. We have um, kind of a hub at our medical school slash hospital, and they have a three-week summer program, almost like an immersion experience where high school students can follow around different healthcare workers for an entire three weeks and figure out what area of healthcare they might want to be in. So I shadowed doctors. I shadowed radiology techs, I shadowed hospital administrators, patient transport workers, so mm-hmm. everyone, yeah, um, absolutely everyone. They really wanted to make sure that we weren't just exposed to doctors because not everybody in the um, immersion program were thinking about that right, yeah. that route. You know, some thinking about PA, and PA wasn't a huge thing back when I was in high school, but some were also thinking about nursing and all that kind of stuff. That's an amazing program. That sounds awesome. I feel like we had, really wish we had cool. something like that. So now it's kind of come full circle because they have a program for medical students now. It's called the AHEC Scholars Program. And I'm a part of that. So we get extra lectures and extra clinical opportunities. So that's really fun. And it's the same mentors I had when I was in high school. So they're uh, they're super cool. And it's nice to you know get to reconnect with them in that way. But you signed up for more I- lectures. How fun. I know, but they're more like public health related. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's interesting, not so uh, technical. Got it. But when I got to college, I, I've been a dancer my whole life. Yeah. Uh, I didn't want to stop when I got to college. So I came in majoring in dance performance. Uh, and for a while it worked, you know, my plan was, you know, to anybody, especially advisors that told tried to tell me, you need to change your major, this isn't going to work. I wanted to prove a lot of people wrong because yeah. I had a lot of people that told me, you know, being an arts major, you're not going to get in. And, really? And people just straight up told you like advisors right. and I, or anyone yeah, around you? This was one of those things where, you know, I was, I was in line for uh, sorority recruitment about to go into one of the houses and the girl behind me, I was telling her about, yeah, I'm a dance major. Um, you know, we're all freshmen. So we literally just started class and she's like, oh, that's gotta be so easy. <laughs> <laughs> no it's not what it's not bitch. at all I mean imagine yeah it just 
it took a toll. And while I loved, you know, my college dance program and I loved doing that, it's a lot on your body and it's a lot on your mental health on top of trying to take the science courses you need to be able to apply to medical school. So typical day for me during that time, I would get up and go to classes, like science classes from eight to 11. And then I would be in the dance studio from 11 to 4.30. Oh, wow. That's ridiculous. Yeah, with rehearsals in the evenings and on the weekends after that. So what was the goal of that program? Were you like trying to like uh, work towards like recitals and stuff like that? Because I know with our music majors, they'll have recitals like every couple of months or something like that, that they're working towards like a project. Yeah, we had a fall performance and a spring performance. The fall performance was more guest choreography work, and then the spring performance was student choreography work. But the main goal of the program was for us to either, you know, eventually graduate and become choreographers, dance teachers, or performers. Um, are you really so, tall? I feel like ballerinas are tall. Five seven. Two, we're the same height. Uh, yeah, I'm five seven. So my goal with that was to dance for some type of dance company for a couple yeah. of years take a gap year or so and come back and apply for school, which middle of sophomore year, at the end of my sophomore year, I said, I got it. I got to do something. I got to switch yeah. it. So I switched my major and I had enough credits that I had a dance minor already, uh-huh. maybe save like a course or two. And I became a pre-med student. Pre-med called, Yeah. What she would call a traditional student, which I hated the thought of being, <laughs> you know, yeah, just like everybody else. Yeah, I didn't want to be just like everybody else, but you know, you find your own way to be yourself. Yeah. You took a really interesting path though. Like a lot of people just do straight up biology and it's a really boring route. I mean, no, kudos to people who do it, but like I never wanted to take any of those. My friend took ornithology. So this oh, fucker yeah. was going around. I mean, we have one of the best places in the nation for bird watching, but this doesn't sound fun to me at all. <laughs> Yeah, I remember taking like a lot of the, um, my biology degree, it was pointed towards pre-med um, yeah. and all of that. So I took a lot of, you know, the prerequisite courses that you need to apply to medical school. They made yeah. sure we had that, but we still, it was still a biology degree. So they, you know, had to make sure we took an ecology class and a systematics course. So I ended up taking, uh, oh my goodness, what's the word for study of insects? I can't remember it right parasitology. now. Parasitology. I no, think, no, that's parasites. That's parasites. Uh, I can't remember the study of insect word. It's not important. I, it's not important. It's not ichthyologist-ish. But <laughs> I, the systematics course I took was about bugs. And then I also took a course about uh, wildlife ecology and management. And that was a lot of statistics and using R. Oh. Using R. I know what you're talking yeah. about. Even using. though it's like so like vague. I know what you're talking about. R. Oh, it's so vague. But yeah, so after that point, you know, after the middle of that, I found my place. I found a way to balance both. And I was in rehearsals for a final senior uh, performance uh-huh. when COVID hit and we didn't get to end up doing it. So, oh, that's so heartbreaking. Yeah, we were in rehearsals from January through March when I uh-huh. ended up coming home and they tried everything to get it to where we could have the show. Yeah. And it didn't happen. Did you have to extend the years for your degree because you're doing, like you switched from a ballerina minor, sorry, major to a biology major? Actually, no, that was mine. I'm going to do something about it. Um, (laughs) I actually did not have to add years because I took courses. I didn't start in the middle. 
I took courses as a freshman and sophomore, knowing I wanted to go to medical school the entire time. Uh Uh Um, The only thing I was behind in was biology courses. So at the time I was dating a guy that was in biology and a lot of my friends in biology, Uh um, I watched them start taking upper level courses because we were juniors at that point while I was still taking um, sophomore level biology classes because the classes were scheduled during the times I would have dance classes. So I couldn't take them. I had to push them back. And then I also took a couple of summer semesters. Um, so you found out you really wanted to do it and you just went and made it happen. Like took took them after hours whenever you could. Definitely. Um, how old are you right now? I'm sorry. I'm 23. Damn, I feel so old. Cause I like, you did it and you like really powered through it, but I went through and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I got a business degree. And then I went into the workforce and I was like, ah, I don't think this is for me. And then, so I went back. Yeah. And so now I'm 27. That's okay. Most of my classmates are older than me. They actually, there's a good balance between people that came straight out of college and are, you know, 23 years old now-ish. Yeah. And, you know, those that are older have, you know, their own children are married. Um, at least I can be called, and I'm just busting your balls a little bit. At least I can be called non-traditional. Yeah, I cannot be called that anymore. The only thing that's non-traditional about me is my dance minor. That's it. That's, that's all. really that's really awesome. That's really inspiring. Um, I know. Do you have any like foot problems? I know it's random, but like they're always talking about how you have to like be on the tippy toes when you're dancing. Yeah, I don't have those kinds of problems, thankfully. Um, I've seen a lot. I had a lot of friends with messed up feet from dancing yeah. on point. My biggest issue, and this was part of the reason it was uh, that I made the decision to stop dancing so much and step back from it and switch my major was I got tendonitis in oh, uh, that's the word. The, so you've got like three little bones called sesamoids in the ball of your foot uh-huh. and they all connect those tendons and so them rubbing from walking all around a college campus on top of I was dancing on point again yeah for oh. multiple days out of the week again because we had a piece that was on point for a show and I was a soloist on points like on your toes like your tippy toes yes yes yeah. yeah. so toe shoes um yeah after not dancing on point consistently for a year and a half because in college I did more modern dance work with bare feet um and I already have flat feet so, so your feet weren't like working up you like weren't conditioned to be putting on that kind of load that like what happened they got they they got weak um so when I was in high school you know I was a principal dancer for an area ballet company so I was on point you know at least four days out of the week for Mm -hmm. hours at a time well when I went to college my first year and a half that didn't happen because the pieces we were doing we didn't have we didn't need that we could always take class on point if we wanted to for the practice but you know it hurts it does not feel it doesn't look comfortable and that's the I big thing about tendonitis like it just yeah. flares up if you're not like so for example when I was learning my muscle ups and stuff yeah. my like I had the strength but my tendons weren't uh, conditioned to be putting that much work on them right so now if I wear non-supportive shoes um like really flat shoes and I walk around a lot I'll get um pain in the bottoms of my feet it's not plantar fasciitis but it's uh-huh. very concentrated around I would if I, if it was wasn't so unladylike I'd pull my foot up and show you the exact <laughs> um, it's like from the ball of my foot following a straight line it's down like, that. show me on the doll 
Yeah, so like if this is the ball of my foot, it follows a straight line down this way and it wraps around my ankle bone and comes like up the side of my calf. So like when I was in the thick of it, I would have to massage that tendon and all of that that runs right there. Have you tied a Theragun or is there any like therapy for that? Um, we had, I wouldn't, I don't really know what you would call her, but she was kind of like a gyro specialist. She did a lot of, uh, body mechanics work when she was in grad school and she was one of our professors. So she gave me exercises to do with a tennis ball, um, repatterning the way I walk and practicing that because some of it has to do with my gait pattern, um, and compensating for the fact that those tendons are kind of tight. Yeah. Um, but now that I'm not dancing anymore, it's doesn't really flare up as bad as when I was. And I'm also not walking around as much as I used to. Tendonitis is an interesting pain because you can't really describe to people how it feels if they don't know what tendonitis is. Right. It just hurts. It's just like a dull aching. It's like, you can't do yes. anything about it. You just need to suck it up and like deal with it. Yeah. You know, massage, take yeah. ibuprofen or something. And I just want to keep talking about it because I'm kind of like learning from you because I know how it is with my... um handstands so yeah. I get tendonitis if I'm flaring up too much like and the big problem with me is I have an imbalance in my back I've noticed recently so mm-hmm. like this side right here is tighter so this one this side is more open so I push with my right hand more and as I'm doing it more I'm leaning more onto my right and I twist out of my handstands into my right when I fall that's so why I almost sprained my my wrist and then just tendonitis because yeah. my forearms are flared up yeah that's a that's a lot my uh one of my best friends is uh, a PT tech and she does a lot of uh, massage and things on her clients that uh-huh. she sees in the um, when she goes to work. And she did that on me one time and she was like, how are your shoulders functioning? <laughs> your trapezius is so tight in this one area. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. Like this. this is just, this is just normal to me. It's my baseline. <laughs> with one shoulder up and like do all my work like this can you see it mine is up my left one is up a little bit i know i sit like i sit like this and i all right and i have to remind myself to put my shoulders down same and i put like you're talking about the the lacrosse ball i put it back here when i'm at work and just kind of massage it out yeah i don't have a lacrosse ball i use a tennis ball or my mom got my brother this i don't have it up here but it's this like roller ball thing that she got him for christmas and he doesn't use it so he left it with me so i'll send you a lacrosse ball I'll just Amazon it to you because it's really helpful. Honestly, I use they're it like everywhere I go. Models. Yeah, they're more dense. Um, so sorry, we're going on to our tangent about fitness. That's something I'm really passionate about. So I could talk about that all day. Yeah. Um, so we talked about why you went into healthcare. Um, what was the most difficult part of your journey in undergrad on your pre-med journey? <clears throat> hmm. Did you have any like you mentioned earlier some advisors that were kind of pushing you away from dance or was anyone yeah. pushing you away from medicine? It was, uh, it was interesting to, you know, be told or even do my own research beforehand. Cause I, I basically had to advise myself because yeah. no one really wanted to help me with that. Their advice wasn't, okay, well, this seems to be really important to you. Let's figure out a way to make this work. It was, you need to change your major. You're not going to go to medical school with that. Why is that such a common trend? I'm like, as I talk to more people, that seems people, to be common. People don't see the sciences and the arts coexisting. And a lot of the traits I have now as a person 
were built because I was in an artistic, you know, form. Always, you know, the discipline I have, the worth that work ethic I have, you know, I wrote about that in my personal statement, how, you know, while my high school friends were doing science fair and going to, you know, state and regionals and national, you know, levels with that, I was dancing in the nutcracker. I was, (laughs) I always begged my teachers not to send me to science fair because I was like, I'm not going to regionals. I have to dance. It's always during nutcracker season. I can't go. (laughs) That's amazing. So that was that was my thing. Uh, I wasn't like everyone else, and I didn't want to be like everyone else, and I didn't understand why they were pushing so hard for me to be like everyone else. You know, yeah. when I finally did find uh, my freshman year biology professor, she was she's she's wonderful. Freshman um, college, freshman undergrad. I mean, freshman yeah, high school. Undergrad. She, uh, yeah. So my biology one and biology two teacher. She is an angel and she helped me even though she her master's in, is in education and she's a biologist uh she's not medical by any by any means but she knew how important it was to me so she kind of coached me through how to get there um mm-hmm. or talk to me when i needed it i would just go in her office and talk to her about it but that was kind of a hard thing to accept was that i needed to be like everyone else for in, in certain ways, this isn't mm-hmm. going to make very much sense, but in certain ways I needed to be like everyone else for my own sanity. Um, Give I was, me an example, like you had to take the same kind of classes or you had to have well, the same mindset. For example, just if this was my realize, like I'll tell you about my realization of I need to change my major. Any, you know, normal day, it's close to the end of spring semester of my, ju- no, my sophomore year, probably about mid semester or so. And I'm starting to schedule for my classes. Um, mm-hmm. The weird thing about undergrad physics is that they won't let you take physics one lab and lecture concurrently. You have to take physics one lecture and then lab one and lecture two. That's weird. It's so strange. I don't know why they do it that way. It would make so much more sense to do them together. But I was going to be taking the lecture that summer while I was home here in Shreveport um, at one of our local colleges. And I said, you know, I'm pretty positive I'm going to pass this course. There's no way I'm going to fail pretty much. Um, can I get into it? Like, can you put me in one of these lab classes? Cause they fill up so fast. And they were like, no, we need to have your grades from the summer for you to be able to apply or not even apply just like for you to sign up for this course like we need to have your grades in hand so that we know you actually passed the course and I'm like you can't just take me on my word I'm a good noodle well that's Um, where you have to be like I see it in you you're being an advocate for yourself and pushing like pushing the envelope like this isn't how it's done right right I was just pushing yeah I'm like this isn't normal but can I please um I know I'm you know I know myself I know I'm going to do absolutely fine but (laughs) After that, it just was so frustrating trying to schedule everything and the realization that I was probably going to be there for five, six years instead of four, which, which, you know, is totally fine if that is your college journey. But that was not what I wanted for myself. I wanted to be done in four years so I could go to medical school. Yeah. And I went and sat down in the cafeteria. I just started crying and I told myself, this would not be so hard if I would just change my major. And that involved me, in a way, 
being like everyone else, yeah. which I did not want. So why I had to find ways to console that for sure. Why do you think you're so against being the norm? Is it something inside of you that's always told you to like push the envelope and be something else? I'm not even really, that's so funny that you describe me as a push the envelope type of person because it's I don't- interesting because really you keep saying you don't want to be the I norm. I enjoy confrontation, but when it comes to, you know- What you want to do, you got to advocate for yourself. Right, you know, I- am the type of person that when I have a goal in mind, uh-huh. I don't change my mind easily. Uh-huh. I know my limits, but I also know that I can do difficult things and I can do them in a way that doesn't sacrifice who I am as a person and you know what I want to include in my life. And for me, that was having both a dance degree and mm-hmm. a biology minor or a, du- a dual degree of some kind. Um, at the time before I decided to switch and I was going to stop at nothing to get that until it started affecting my mental health and, you know, my body and my relationship Uh with people. Uh, It was once I freed myself from the mentality of I couldn't change because I'd already started, Uh um, my life became much better. I let go of a lot of expectations that I had for myself and I had let go of a lot of expectations other people had for me Uh um, because this journey isn't to prove anybody wrong or about anybody else it's about me and the people I'll be treating in the future yeah I want to thank you for sharing that because I know that's like I can tell it's really close to you like that story really yeah yeah it's a it was a um tough thing to come to terms with and it was a hard thing to explain to you know my friends that had been in the same major since they were freshmen dance or biology I would never fit into either circle for a long time because my dance friends were like why do you study all the time I don't understand you know because with dance all of our stuff was you know most of it was moving your body it wasn't a whole lot of pure studying uh and all of my biology classmates were like why are you in rehearsals all the time why can't I, yeah I they were just like I don't understand why you want to dance so badly I'm like I just I do I just do I describe you as pushing the envelope because what I see a lot and it might just be my area is a lot of times people will just take the standard process as the norm and you can't go outside of it right so like you said that you can't do physics and all that stuff um and I ran into a lot of different like a lot of situations in my journey where like this isn't how you do it but I just said hey you know trust me I can do it and you just keep pushing yourself and keep pushing other people to let you do more and more and more so I kind of see that in you exactly and I think going you know going to college three hours away where I and I've always been you know a huge advocate for my for myself you know very independent I handled my own schoolwork I handled my own college applications and all of that process um but you know, going to college and being three hours away from everybody that could advocate for me, I had to. And on top of that, I gained a lot of confidence from being in my sorority and being uh, a part of so many different organizations that you you have to speak up when it's not going right for you or when you feel like something could be done better. Yeah, I agree. So let's go back to undergrad. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the pre-med side of it. So you were a ballerina. Did you have any time to 
do any research or shadowing or anything like that before medical school? That was one thing I did have to sacrifice was involvement with research, which research is not a huge area of interest for me. Not Um, me either. (laughs) I did a bird research once and I just disappeared. and I didn't go back. I um, hated it. When I was in college, I'd never really found anything that was super interesting to me as far as research that was on my campus. And I was always in rehearsals anyway. So I kind of thought, you know, this is what I've chosen to do. You know, that was one of the biggest pieces of advice I got going into college was pick two or, you know, three to four things that you want to devote your years to and do that. Um, You can dabble in other stuff, but for your med school application, they like to see quality over quantity. If you can spend four years mm-hmm. doing one thing that you love and you can talk about, that's way better than just filling your application with 15 things that you don't really know a whole lot about and aren't super passionate about. Um, so as like, you know, I added, added things over the years, I had to reprioritize certain positions and certain organizations and all of that. I think but, that's great advice. Like do what you want to and the med schools will see that you're different. Not, you're not just trying to fill in the gaps with, I need a hundred hours of shadowing or I need a hundred hours of research in. Right. So I mainly shadowed when I came home and like visited home because we uh, have physician friends that would let me shadow. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a whole lot of connections in Lafayette while I was down there. Um, so I did not have as near as many shadowing hours as some people did, which is okay. Everybody's application is different. Um, and then instead of, research I did a whole lot more volunteer work Got it. Uh, so over the summers I went and worked at a summer camp for kids who have musculodystrophy mm-hmm. which has now uh influenced my future choice of specialty I'd like to be a child neurologist oh how cool you're so good I, like I have these questions set up and you're already like chronologically going towards them yeah so that that's influenced what I want to do um I was the vice president and then president of a disability awareness and advocacy organization that my big sis from my sorority and I revived. Um, It was started in the 70s and then it kind of fell off. And so we brought it back as a tribute to her older sister who passed away while we were in college Um, and to continue her legacy of advocacy. And is that a part of the muscular dystrophy camp or is that separate? You know, actually, that was uh, how we, she and I met. Um, It's a really wild story. I started at Camp Starlight the year before I started, like the summer before I started college. And then when I went through sorority recruitment, she told me about her sister who had a rare form of muscular dystrophy. And I started talking about camp. And that camp was the one that her sister went to um, when she was younger. And you ate, the kids age out at 17, 18 years old. So before we go any further, I'm like really dumb right now. I don't know how I got into medical school, but can you just explain muscular dystrophy? Yeah. So muscular dystrophy is considered a form of neuromuscular disease. Okay. It, it affects the motor neurons or the proteins that are involved with the muscle tissue. And so okay. you get muscle weakness and difficulty with movement, um, difficulty with pretty much all the muscles in the body. Um, so a lot of the kids that I see on the summers who are super cool have perfectly fine brain function. You know, they're, they'll roast you so hard <laughs> about whatever you're wearing or how s- slow you run compared to their power chair. <laughs> um, and normal they, kids otherwise. Right. They have uh, mobility um, issues. So they have 
they either have a power chair or they have, you know, a manual wheelchair. Okay. Some of them have braces or crutches and some of them are ambulatory, meaning they walk fine. They may just have, you know, a foot drop or a limp. Um, just so what I understood is like their physiology, you find it's more of like a neurological problem, like their brain is not sending the correct signals or something. Sometimes it's the brains, the brain not sending the correct signals, like the neurons that come down to your muscles are just not sending a signal or the muscle tissue itself, there's something missing. So the axons mm. from the neurons are fine, but you, the muscles aren't responding. So you, when you have cells that either aren't getting a signal or aren't responding to a signal, they die and they atrophy. So. Sense. All right, thank you for explaining. You're welcome. It's a not, not a very well, no, there are a lot of different kinds and they're a lot more common than people think they are, but it's not a really well-known disease. ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, which is what Stephen Hawking had, is considered a neuromuscular disease and most people know about ALS, but don't understand that kids can also get certain types of muscular dystrophies or neuromuscular disease. And then, so you met your friend um, and you guys went to that camp or something with the younger sister? Yeah, so her older sister, she had already aged out of camp, but that was how we became best friends. I'll be in her wedding this December. Uh, but she she came to camp the next with me the next year because uh, she didn't want to go to camp while um, her sister was still on this earth because, you know, what, how is that fair for her to get to go as a counselor when her sister couldn't go because she was a camper at one point and they oh. ate out and all that kind of stuff. So once uh, her sister passed away, she decided it was time for her to come to camp as well. And just knowing her and all of the experiences we have had over the years in college mm -hmm. and at camp, there's, I never actually met her sister in person, but I've heard so many stories that I feel like I know her myself sure. and her presence was very, uh, what's the word, very apparent. Um, like she had a big personality? Yeah, very big personality, very sassy. <laughs> Hoot. But yeah, so we started, uh, to circle back, we started that organization um, to continue her legacy because yeah. she was very, very adamant about, you know, just because I can't move um, well and just because I can't speak because it affected the muscles of her face. Mm -hmm. um, just because I can't speak doesn't mean I can't advocate for myself and know what I want and do things and enjoy life, you know? Um, oh. So that organization flourished. I still follow their Instagram page. Uh, it's still going. It's kind of crazy to me how, you know. Don't be shy. Drop the Instagram ad so I can look at it later. It's uh, UL Beacon Club. UL Beacon Club. Not Bacon. We got a few members because of the Bacon <laughs> Club and Oh my God. But, On a random tangent, you know how that whole drama with the Robin Hood and the GameStop? Yes, sort of. I only understand stocks so, a little bit. Real quick, GameStop is it went up and then Robin Hood was the main platform everyone was using. And then they got mad or everybody got mad because they stopped people from being able to buy and sell it. So right. people went to Twitter to get mad at them. And so all these people went to this random Robin Hood um, Twitter in like Nottingham or something like that. That was actually just a Robin Hood fan club. Oh, no. And so they gained like hundreds of thousands of millions of followers overnight. And they're just like, sorry, guys, wrong Robin Hood. Wrong one. Sorry. That's <laughs> so yeah. if you That's like bacon, bad. don't go to UL Beacon. Is it UL Beacon? 
Yes, UL Beacon Club on Instagram. Yeah, it's really awesome when you see something that you helped start, continue to grow and see where other leaders take it. Yeah, and the leaders, you know, the people I met on the executive board of that organization, because we sent out, you know, it's, it was open to everybody, especially when we first started because we needed help, uh-huh. you know, help running it. But uh, the people <laughs> I met through that are some like some friends that I still hold uh, dear to this day and seeing some of the younger ones that were on executive board now become vice president and president. I'm like, oh, that's oh, cute. I'm like a proud mom. <laughs> Same. When I started with AMSA, I was like, we kind of, the person before me revamped it and then I took over the next year. And then my friend Tabitha took over the year after that. And you know, they're having a little bit of struggle with COVID right now, but, you know, they're still pushing through in their own way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's see. So, um, so you didn't do any research at all? Because I didn't do research. I hate research. I did not. I'm just now dabbling my toes in um, research, which I'm pretty excited about because it has to do with the brain. And I think that's part of the reason I was not very interested in research in undergrad because it was mostly like, here, you do these plants you know? <laughs> yeah. There's nothing down here that interests me. Maybe like if I got into, uh, actually now if I went back, I could probably with my network find UT health people to like study like diabetes or something, but I really was yeah. interested in ophthalmology, but there's nothing here. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's a cool though. You don't hear that very often. Ophthalmology? Mostly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really interested and it kind of ties in with yours. Um, the optic nerve is basically an extension of the brain. Yeah. And I've always been interested in glaucoma. So they're doing some glaucoma research where they're showing that you could potentially grow back some of the um, ganglion nerve. I think they're ganglion nerves in the back, the optic nerve. That's so cool. I know, right? <laughs> Super exciting. Like imagine giving somebody back their vision. Wow. Yeah, that's a gift. That's something we take for granted. And that's uh, one of the reasons I want to be an ophthalmologist is to give people vision through LASIK. Oh, that's cool. Um, so did you have a sh- favorite shadowing experience? You mentioned you have some friends that you shadowed or in your family? Yeah, so I, um, there was one shadowing experience I had where I was shadowing at a neuromuscular clinic. So I shadowed two different, two physicians mainly. One was a neonatologist and one was a neurologist because I have interest in both. I like kids, I like babies. Um, before I wanted to do neurology, I wanted to do neonatology. So I went ahead and shadowed both because you get, you know, all of it with newborn babies. And then mm-hmm. specifically looking at um, the neuromuscular clinic with that neurologist gave me an, another idea of looking at, you know, adult progression of the disease and okay. possibly looking at that population as well. Um, one of my favorite experiences, and this was back when I was in high school, uh, the hospital administrator I shadowed for the AHEC immersion program that I was in took me to the NICU and he was like I don't really know if we can go in but we can stand at the window and we did end up getting to go in and just seeing all of the tiny babies I didn't want to leave I uh he brought me in there and I just was like can I can we stay can I stay uh I don't want to go they need me (laughs) they need Uh, me I can't do anything, but they need me. Um, that was see how they lit up when I walked in the room. They need me. Right. Yeah. So that was my uh, kind of first experience with like, bing, I know what I want to do now. Very, at a very early age, uh, my boyfriend still marvels at the fact that I know what I want to do 
at age 23 and he's 26 and he's like I don't know I still don't know I'm like that's fine that's okay Uh, most people don't but uh the other experience I had where I truly think I helped someone even in my you know baby brain state uh, (laughs) knowing a ton right now um there was a patient in the neuromuscular clinic and our physician wonderful physician, very smart, very uh, good with patients, Mm -hmm. just a very thick accent. A lot of neurologists are um, foreign. foreign. So they're a little hard to understand, but if you walk, you know, by the time, like by the end of the first day I worked with him, I could be, I could tell what he said. And I had experience working with guest artists that would come in and dance with, you know, the major role, AKA Mm -hmm. me for, um, the ballet company I danced with when I was in high school. So we would spend, you know, a straight two weeks in the studio together working on partnering. And I would be able to basically translate for whoever came in to dance with me while everyone else was like, what is he saying? I'm like, oh, he said this. Um, So he was talking to um, an older woman that came in just for some test results. And he started to leave and I followed and she clutched my arm as I was leaving the room and she had the widest eyes and she looked at me and she said, can you, do you know what he just said? Can you explain it to me? Because I didn't understand uh, what he said. Um, And she just looked really scared. So I did explain, uh, she got some genetic tests back that were telling her about, you know, what form of muscular dystrophy she probably had. They just didn't know what gene was causing it. Um, But it was very, I don't know. It's kind of heartbreaking to see her in that state where it was my first experience with a patient not really knowing what's going on. Because before that, you know, I thought, oh, you know, doctors are really great at explaining concepts to patients. Everybody's good. There's nothing, nothing wrong with that. And she needed me who she had no idea. I wasn't even in medical school yet. I was in college. Um, needed me to explain what was going on just based on my knowledge from working with the kids at camp and following him around, following the physician around. Mm-hmm. Um, You're her voice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was rewarding, but it was mm-hmm. a, a very, I don't know, not grim reality, just. Not eye- shocking, but I won't be yeah, exactly. I was going to say eye opening. Like- definitely eye opening to see the reality for those patients because they don't really know what's going on with their bodies. They just yeah. know, I can't do what I used to, and I don't know help. why, and I need you to help me. Yeah. Um, it goes back to like, you know how in the past doctors kind of had like this God complex, not that they had a God complex, but like Patriarchal, patients- patriarchal relationship. It's, uh, I'm going to assume that's correct. Yes. Yeah. So we've, we've talked a little bit about this sure. in um, the class that I dub how to be a doctor uh-huh. uh, or how to be a good doctor. It's our clinical foundations of medicine course and what they've called a quote unquote patriarchal relationship where the doctor is like a father figure and the patient is like a child. Mm. Father knows best. Um, that makes sense. So basically people who are tend to be in the older generation, um, older generations go along with what their doctor says even that mindset, yeah. or don't understand um, because in their mind, the doctor knows best. That's, That's a exactly little- what I was going to get towards. Yeah. That makes sense a lot. Patriarchal leadership. What was that? Yeah. 
Yeah. So I know that's one factor, but also like there's a huge language barrier. So like Definitely. you said, with the accent, what I talked about with um, Sam last week is a lot of the patients were like, we're from an underserved area. So a lot of Spanish speaking patients don't speak up. They don't ask any questions. They don't understand what the doctor said. So right. she had the same kind of like eye-opening experience you did where she was mm -hmm. able to translate and speak to the patient in their native language and help them understand their healthcare better and help give them a voice. Yeah. And even if you can speak to patients in their native language, sometimes it's just hard to pare down the information that you understand to a level that the patient can understand because sure. this patient probably didn't go to school for four years, like you, you know, four years of medical school residency and all of that, like you did. Uh, my boyfriend sometimes has to remind me, babe, when you explain things to me, <laughs> you have to explain them on smaller terms, use smaller words. And I'm like, I'm trying to learn it myself. I don't quite know how to do that yet. I'll learn. What do you mean you don't I'll know learn. what an NSAID is? Come on. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's awesome that you guys, it's really interesting to see how people have these similar experiences, yet we're so far apart and like we'll never meet, but we've had similar experiences, you know? Right. Um, we kind of touched on this earlier, but I had a question on this because I knew you had been a dancer or you still are a dancer. Um, do you have any advice for people who want to take part in extracurriculars or student organizations in undergrad, but they don't know which ones medical schools are looking for? Um. They're really looking for whatever you're curious about, honestly. In my experience, anytime I asked what's the, what is that? My bow and arrow. I talked about oh, it in my interview. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was like, I, was, I saw that earlier. I was like, I was wondering what's hanging on the wall over there. It looks cool. But exactly, if you're passionate about, say you play an instrument, you know, don't stop playing the instrument um, while you're in college. Even if you don't take a course on it, just yeah. keep up practicing with it. It makes you a more well-rounded person. That was a misconception I had when I was coming into college as a pre-med student was that medical schools wanted people who study all the time and don't do anything else and have perfect grades. And that 4. is- 0. Yeah, no. Yeah, that's not true at all. They want people who are well-rounded and you know, that word gets thrown out so much and that can lose its meaning really quickly. If you are a human and not a robot, you need to talk to people. Yeah. <laughs> Social I, creatures. I um, think I would describe it like you're going to have a bunch of unique patients that are from all different walks of life. So to be able to properly treat those patients, you're going to need unique doctors from all different walks of life. Exactly. You know, whether you went you know more traditional and came straight out of undergrad or you took a few years for yourself or to work or to revamp your application whatever you can use as your story um, they're going to like and if you can include experiences from your extracurriculars like you know sorority and fraternity organizations volunteer organizations um, research any research you do um, anything you do outside of that as well like uh Muscular dystrophy camp for me wasn't offered through my school, but I did that for four years, would have been five, thanks COVID. Um, but that was something I was super passionate about. And I talked about it in my personal statement and in my interview. So if you're going to choose something, choose something that you're going to stick with and that could affect you and your, you know, 
what's the word eventual pra- like eventual practice methods it could affect you as a person like i know yeah. Yeah. the camp changes life for their like you know those kids lives but mm-hmm. in more ways than one it's changed my life and the way i look at the world um and that's what those experiences are for it's to give you a bigger perspective than what you've had growing up because if you go to college you're going to meet people that are different from you and you're going to interact with people that are different from you Um, and being in organizations with those people possibly having to work on leadership teams with them you may not like everyone but you can absolutely respect everyone Um, and that just strengthens your people skills it strengthens your ability to multitask time management I always time manage better when I have a ton of things going on Yeah, because I know exactly how much time I have to study. And that was what kept me on track. You don't have any time to waste. So you have to put everything into perspective. And COVID lockdown was the worst for my time management and getting things done. (laughs) I went from, you know, having certain pockets of the day to get my uh, schoolwork done in between meetings. And then I went to having all days to do my work and nothing. nothing. Yeah. It it got done. I graduated. I have a degree (laughs) sitting up here, but it was very hard to mostly, you know, push myself to get that done uh, yeah. because I didn't have quote unquote deadlines, arbitrary deadlines. Oh, deadlines. for sure. Yeah. I think when it's like the procrastination rule, like whenever you have a deadline, that's when you like get serious, it starts to get closer. Yes. Um, so you brought up your personal statement a couple of times. I did want to talk about the application. Yeah. So I'm trying to do pre-meds that are going to medical school and uh, interview those kind of people, but also since there's people who are already in medical school and you have the application fresh in your mind and the MCAT, you've taken the new format. Uh, did you enjoy the MCAT? Um, I did not <laughs> quite enjoy it. but the only reason, you know, I'd be surprised if you said yes, I didn't have, I wish I had had the community that people who are on the Medstagram community now. now yeah. Yes, have like I wish I had that when I was taking the MCAT. I would have, I scored fine. I scored mm-hmm. great in terms of you know what I needed needed for my school. I surpassed my goal of what I wanted to score, and that's fine. Once you get in, no one cares. Yeah. Um, it's Are you all comfortable about sharing because I'll uh, yeah. It's up to I made you. A, I, I made a five hundred eight on my MCAT. All I wanted to make was a five hundred five. Uh, that was average for LSU Hell Shreveport uh-huh. the year before me or the uh, two years before me coming in, um, I think with a, an average 3.6 science GPA. So I had both of those things mm-hmm. um, in the bag and that was what I went with. That was my goal. Awesome. Um, I was not organized at all with my studying. I did way <laughs> too much content review. So if one piece of advice with the MCAT, don't focus on content review. Practice problems, hard. practice problems, practice, practice this. That's how I study now, practice questions. Yeah, for sure. Um, my friend Kevin just started studying for the MCAT. He was the first one I had on, and this yeah. fuck, this guy is actually enjoying his MCAT study. It's super annoying. What? Yeah, no, it's because like I guess like it's easier for him. Like I've given him all the resources. Like you were saying, now I know that uh, prep courses aren't like the way to go. And you honestly oh. go to MCAT Bros, go to other people. Yeah. Yes, all the resources I share now I did not use when I studied for my MCAT. And people yeah. just ask me, what did you do? I'm like, don't do what I did. Don't do what I did. Don't do don't what do I did. What I, did. I treated it like Be better. And it wasn't a good time. Yeah, no, my boss, luckily, my boss bought two programs for me. Like, I would not have bought the programs otherwise. So my boss spent like two to $3,000 on me. 
but I, at this point, like my friend, Kevin, I would just tell him to go to MCAT bros and buy the Kaplan books. And like, you're good. You're good. I mean, you got to have disciplined study. Yeah. And Raj is really on you. MCAT bros guy. He's like really on top of it. It's like no bullshit. He just tells you how it is. Yeah. I did not, not use MCAT bros. I now recommend all of that to people who ask me and part of me wishes I could go back and do all of that and take it again, but I'm here. I'm Same. alive. I passed my first semester. I'm working <laughs> on passing the second one. So. Congrats. Good for you. Yeah. I wish I could go back just to take it for fun, but uh, then I think about it. It doesn't sound too fun. No, it's not really that fun, <laughs> but oh. I can help others. Like my friends, I'm helping them, giving them all the right. content that I used and get cards, teaching them how to use it. Yeah. Okay. So um, about your personal statement, what did you write about? What was your hook? Because like, what was the main point of your um, personal statement? It was all around ballerina? Yeah, it was all around dance. Dance. That was, uh, you know, my biggest thing was I was no longer dancing at the point I wrote my personal statement because it was my senior year of college. But I, I was thinking about it and all of the lessons I've learned as a person, the majority of them came from being in a dance studio for at least four hours every day. Wow. Um, from the time I was, oh, 12, I was in the studio like four or five days a week. And by the time I graduated high school, I was there six days a week. That's crazy. That I can't even imagine. I, yeah. I would get out of, I would get off of school at three 30 ish, drive immediately to the studio and be there until eight or nine o'clock Saturdays. Most of my Saturdays were spent in the studio from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Wow. when rehearsing for Nutcracker. Um, it was it was a lot, but passion, determination, um, working hard when no one else can see it, being your own biggest cheerleader because my dance teacher was not very forthcoming with um, praise, mm-hmm. like verbal praise. Um, we kind of had to know that we were doing well for ourselves. Uh, so I'm a very self-motivated person now because of that. I don't need a lot of external praise or push to get things done or know I'm doing a good job. It's nice to hear, but. But you don't need it. Yeah. I don't need it. I know I'm doing a good job. Um, So you touched on that on your personal statement. I feel like the same way I did with fitness. Cause like you said, I get discipline. There's days I don't want to work out and I go and do it anyway. But not only did I talk about that, I weaved those skills into everything I was involved with mm-hmm. after high school. So, you know, I talked about in the beginning when I was, a li- even since I was a little kid, you know, my biggest goal when I was two years old in ballet class was doing exactly what the teacher did, not getting a sticker at the end of class like my friends were. Like they were all excited about the sparkly stickers. When I was in middle school, you know, I was so worried about growing too tall to dance the role of Clara in the Nutcracker, which is main role, big deal when you're in seventh grade. Um, And all of my friends were like tittering over boys for school dances, which I didn't really get to go to because I was in the studio (laughs) or had to go to dance. When I was in high school, like I said, people were doing science fair and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I have friends who are in med school now that went to national levels of science fair and won or placed or did really well and I was dancing 
dancing. I was, you know, a principal dancer from the time I was 16, 15 or 16 to the time I graduated high school. So my last three years of high school, I was it. Um, and did that come up in your interviews? It did because being from Shreveport and being a dancer, you tend to know a lot of people. Um, my face was my face and my body were plastered on billboards in town for shows because I did <laughs> dance a lot of main roles. And, you know, when I went in for my interview, I had former dancers that vouched for me and talked to um, their physician friends and said, hey, this person's coming in for an interview. You know, if you see them in the hallway, tell them, hey, you know, I've got a dentist mentor. She's really my friend now, but she's older than me. She taught me point when I was in fifth grade. Um, dentist, uh, now one of the residents in Shreveport um, that went to medical school, she danced in a for a company in New York and danced at my studio before that. So you get, a, you have a lot of connections, especially when you, people see your face every Christmas for 12 years, um, from the time you're five years old to the time you're 18. That's so interesting. How humble. But also my, the assistant dean of admissions at the time, when I walked into his office for my exit interview, he's got portraits of ballet dancers in his office. And it was really funny because he talked to me for at length, you know, asking me, do you still dance? Are you keeping up with that? And I was like, sir, I gotta tell you, I, I don't anymore. And for a long time, you know, I thought I wasted my time for my first two years of college chasing a dream that really wasn't meant to be mine. He was like, you hold your tongue. <laughs> he was like, don't ever say that again. I was like, okay. Yes, sir. But I, I did tell him, I was like, you know, I realized now that those years were formative for me. Yeah and that they were necessary for me to figure out what exactly I wanted. And I came out of the room and the, we had did our exit interviews in three. So one would go in and two would sit out in the you know main office waiting to go in. And the two guys I rode down in the elevator with were like, man, he talked to you forever. I was like, we talked about dance. dance. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it was funny. It, I never really, uh, expected those kinds of connections to come out of me dancing for so long especially in Shreveport but uh it they were they were good connections um lots of people I know now you just yeah. said oh my daughter, you know my kid danced at that studio you probably taught my kid um Aww. yeah I, I did teach dance when I was in uh high school and my uh, soon-to-be roommate, her younger sister, she's like, you definitely taught my sister dance. That's where I know you from, from high school. That's so cool. So you're like a, you're basically like a community figure. Sort of. I wouldn't consider myself that. Um, I feel like a has-been now, oh but my God. people, uh, you know, they recognize me as the, the ballerina, the dancer. Mm -hmm. uh, I still have got lots of pictures on my social media from that time in my life. Um, a lot of people are really nervous about interviews. Did you prepare a lot for that? Did you go do a lot of mock interviews with friends? I actually didn't. Come here. Oh, is there a puppy? Oh. Sorry, my dog wanted to say hello. It's okay. Hello. <laughs> Otherwise, she would not shut up. Hey, puppy. So, did you interview with uh, Sarah? She did not, even though she probably would have gotten me in off the bat. Honestly, look at her. She's adorable. She didn't need any help. Um, but I actually did not do 
mock interviews, I didn't, this is a terrible thing. I kind of winged it. I didn't really prepare at all, uh, which is terrible. But you're a you good know, speaker. I, I think that's what it is too. Like you, I did think about, well, thank you. I did think about, you know, I asked people who were already in school at Shreveport, you know, what were the types of questions you got? Um, is there anything I need to watch out for? Um, how did you prepare? And they told me, but it was, you know, kind of a quick turnaround time for my interview. I didn't have months to yeah. kind of prepare for that. Uh, I got an email at the beginning of September. My interview was at the end of September. And then a week yeah. later, I got my acceptance. Oh, exact same for me. I, that's because of the early decision program. Right. So if you don't do early decision, you have more time to prepare. Yeah. But I felt okay going in because I have done interviews before. And I did think about, you know, the common answers or the questions like, tell me about yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, why do you want to be a doctor? Why do you want to come here? I read the mission statement beforehand and made sure I had not only just questions about the mission statement in general, um, but also about my, like the school itself, you know, An one idea of my, about what it was like. Yeah. Yeah. So the, one of my interviewers, I, I made sure I had at least one question for my, uh, each of my interviewers. And one of them yeah. I asked about, you know, student organizations and ways to get involved because I was really involved in college. And then the other one I asked, if you had advice, like your best piece of advice for an incoming medical student, what would it be? And he said to read Lippincott's biochemistry back to front. I said, okay. That's a really good question. I like that. I think I'm going to put that. I'm going to clip this. This is a really good question to ask because I had a similar question too. Yeah, it was, uh, it was good. They, they were very chill. I mean, they had two totally different interview styles. One uh, was a pediatric resident. He came in, he said, sup, my name is, I'm gonna interview you today, you know? Like, just, how, how are you? He kind of warmed me up before I went in to um, interview with our biochem professor that taught me uh, basic sciences last semester, who is face blind. <laughs> so he did not look at me the whole time. He wrote on a notepad. Um, and made me basically restate my entire um, resume statement. for oh my him. God. Yeah, he was like, he asked me very hard questions too. He was like, what is the biggest challenge you've overcome? I'm like, do you mean academically or personally? He was like, whatever you want to talk about. Like, <laughs> That's so awesome. Yeah, I tell people like whenever they ask me for interviews, like advice, I tell them that people are just people. And if you can find something, connect with somebody, your interview is going to be super easy. Like with one of my interviews, we just talked about podcasts for a good, like 20 or 30 minutes. Yeah. One of my friends, one of her interviewers, she was a bartender um, in new Orleans before she uh, came to medical school. And he asked her for her best old fashioned recipe. Oh my God. Please send it. I'm going for an old fashioned after this, actually. Uh, I will text her and ask her what she uses. Um, (laughs) That's awesome. I, I, she told, she told me recently I would have to remember because I don't, she's the, she's the cocktail lady when we have get togethers. It's awesome. Okay. So we talked about interviews, personal statement and MCAT. <clears throat> I noticed a lot of people have questions about letters of recommendations. Like yeah, I'm just going to read you a bunch of questions that I found. Yeah. When to ask for them, who to ask, common courtesies and mistakes. And what if the professor doesn't know you by name because you're in a large class? You don't have to answer them all, but those are like some questions I've been seeing on the no, MCAT pages. Definitely, 
Those are definitely valid questions because I did have that fear, especially with bigger classes, you know. Yeah. Uh, if you're in beginner biology courses, you know, you can use those professors, but make sure they're professors that you went and spent time in their office hours, mm -hmm. um, talked, like actually went and spoke with them. They know your face. If they don't know your name, they at least know your face and who you are. Um, make yourself known, advocate for yourself. Right. If you walked into their office, they would know who you were mm -hmm. because you have a relationship with them. The, uh, as you get further into your degree, your classes get a lot smaller. Mm -hmm. So my letters of recommendation came from some upper level professors. I think I had, yeah, I had my organic chemistry professor, a physician, and um, we have a committee that writes a recommendation letter from the pre-health committee to send, which for a lot of schools is really the only letter you need and they're really the only letter mm -hmm. they ask for, but you can send other letters as well. Just no more than two other letters. Really? That's so interesting. Right. They don't, when, especially when I was applying, they don't, they, they specifically ask, okay, who are your two or three others that you want to send? Um, schools, what, from what I was told, they don't want six letters for one candidate, especially, you know, doctors and politicians. Like, it just seems like you're showboating, you know, when you trying do that. too hard. Yeah, you're trying too hard. Yeah, I did my OCHEM professor too. I did my boss and I did a physician. That's also my boss. Yeah, those are all great choices. And I asked them for letters. I want to say, because um, AMCAS opened at the end of, is it the end of May or the beginning of May? The beginning of May. I asked them probably around January or February. Okay. So like give them like good three months to prepare, three to five months? Definitely. And with AMCAST, it has you, they have to send it through a, a certain system. They can't yeah. give it to you. They can't mail it directly to the school. They have to send it to AMCAS uh, in Washington, D.C. So bear in mind that when you need that letter turned in, it has to be turned in. Yeah. All your supporting documents have to be turned in at the same time as um, your application. They have they have a deadline too. Um, if your letter is still in the mail when the deadline rolls around for everything to be in, that's that's just bad luck. You know, that point, uh, what can you do? Yeah, for sure. Uh, what was I gonna say? I was gonna say that, um, I don't remember. I was going to say the TMD, TMD SAS one for Texas, mm -hmm. we were able to have three to four letters and I went for four and only one, like one person didn't even show up, turn theirs in. Yeah. That's the difficult thing. That's the yeah. difficult thing. You have to remind the people the your letter writers. And I hate to bother know, them so much. Right. Check, you got to check in with them. I hated, you know, bothering, uh, the, you know, the physician I asked to write my letter yeah. because he was so busy, uh, but I was like, hey, I really need this letter. And it wasn't that he didn't want to write it. He would just forget. Be busy, yeah. He would just, yeah, he would get busy. And I, every couple of, you know, every month or so, I would message him and say, hey, I'm looking, especially when it came time to turn everything in and send everything off, I would be like, hey, I'm looking at the application. I'm seeing that your letter hasn't come through yet. Have you yeah. sent it? Have you written it? What's, what's, what's the timeline here? 
what can I do to help you? Try not to put it all on them. What do I need? Are you missing any information from me? Right. And if you can have a resume ready to send to them, that's also a good thing because a lot of them will ask for that. And for my interview, I had to have a resume sent as well. Like not only did they have my application, but they wanted a resume, like a photo resume Mm. uh, before I went for my interview. So having that ready all, you know, all about is a good thing yeah I think to get your resume started is a good idea because when I was thinking about applying to multiple schools I sent a copy of my resume and then I sent these are the five schools I'm applying to and this is what each of them felt like their mission statement and this is how I feel like I would tie in with their mission statement Mm, and I sent them a whole doc yeah that's a good strategy I kept a, a spreadsheet of all of my extracurriculars, service hours, things like that. So when it came time for me to put that all in the AMCAS, I had it right there. I didn't have to pull it out of my brain. Um, You know, it's hard to remember four years of activities when it really matters. For sure. (laughs) Okay, so I had some questions about finances. You're welcome to go into it or not get into it. But me personally, when I go to medical school, I'm gonna pay for it with student loans. I'm lucky that I got a 50% scholarship. Um, I feel like a lot of people are, yeah, thank you. I feel like a lot of people are nervous about um, like paying for it. So I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that. And if you have any ways to save money for medical school, during medical school. Yeah, that is definitely daunting. Cause I was, you know, I'm very blessed that I did not have to take out student loans for undergrad. I yeah. had a lot of scholarships and the rest of it, um, my parents helped me pay for. Oh my God, I should tell this story real quick. I have, I got a full scholarship to my undergrad, right? Yes. And I still came out with, with student loan debt. Not, not like to live? What it- yeah, my mom was like, oh, like I got a full dorm, right? My mom was like, oh, you should take out student loans and live off of student loans in the dorms. I was like, what a great idea. And so I did. And then I ended up uh, spending like over two years, $10,000 on Yu-Gi-Oh cards and food. Oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. With me, with mine, um, I'm thankful to go to a medical school that is not super, you know, as astronomically expensive as it could be. Now, I am still, I think my last bill statement for the entire academic year was $54,000 for one year. I know. That's tuition and board or that's just tuition? That's all of it. Um, We don't have room and board. And with me living at home right now, that's, um, that definitely helped me save a good bit of money for the last um, year that I've lived here because I did move home early due to COVID and finished up my senior year from here. I, I did, I am taking out student loans to pay for my medical school um, expenses. So there you can get what is it unsubsidized or subsidized loans mm-hmm. and I think you can only get subsidized loans in undergrad or under certain conditions yeah most I you know I'm paying for mine with an unsubsidized loan meaning that interest accrues while you're every single day while I don't pay it except for right now because we're under you know a stopping of that COVID uh, from the federal with COVID so no interest right now which is very nice yeah. Um, I did not take, you can also apply for a plus loan, um, which they have a grad plus loan, um, which would have given me an extra $3,000 for the year. Um, and they, my financial aid office splits it up. So they gave me half of the money 
last semester and they you you know they gave me half of the money this semester they used what they needed to pay for all of my expenses through the school and then the rest of it came to me in the form of a direct deposit mm-hmm. so that I can live and buy groceries and things like that um, which that was a very you know big scary thing for me I was like oh my gosh how am I going to live but I had yeah. a first year medical student friend from last year that explained his financial layout to me and it made me feel a lot better, um, especially now, you know, I have learned how to budget. I <clears throat> do you use a program or do you use Excel or something? I use a worksheet I found on the internet um, in a Google <clears throat> Sheet. Mm-hmm. It's really nice. I also have, oh, a stop. Hey, Google, stop. Uh, we're going to McDonald's. It heard me. Uh, <laughs> say the magic word, which I can't say again because she'll go off again. But I use a Google Sheets to fill out this worksheet and I do a zero-based budget where I lay out all of my income for the month and then I make sure every single dollar is used for something, whether it's I get to the end of all of my expenses and I put the rest of it in an emergency fund for the month. And then if any money I don't use either goes to help pay off my car or goes back into my savings account. what's your emergency loan like mine is i think six months of bills it's supposed to be around three months and i do have a savings tucked away to help with that yeah from i were i had a small like on-campus job in undergrad so i saved a good bit of money from that and then i have a different savings account that my grandma has put money in since i was a little kid um very nice and i did my uh, i used that to pay for um like the rent like the leftover for my uh payments in undergrad so i still have a little bit left from that and if you know i have access to it if i were to ever need it that's fine Um, yeah so i live i try to live like i don't have money but i do have money in case like a nest egg yeah definitely because it's so hard especially being um you know i do study at home when I, I have a nice desk, I have, you know, a good setup, but trying to work at home every single day is very difficult. Especially with that so bed I, back there, you can just go lay down and be on your phone. But going to a coffee shop or going up to mm-hmm. the med school where there's a very nice cafe with very yummy chicken biscuits, <laughs> it adds up really quickly. And I figured that out last month, um, you know, yeah. stopping for Kane's chicken or getting coffee or, you know, the coffee shop I frequent, their breakfast food is delicious, but it's $8 for a meal, you know? Yeah. It added up really quickly. And so I ended up having to pull money from different spots to cover my eating out expenses. And I was like, I got to stop doing that. For sure. At least you're aware of it. Um, have you heard about the White Coast in- White Coat Investor? No. Wait. You, sh- you should look him up. He has a blog and a book. Okay, cool. But it's mostly yep. like targeted towards after you graduate and how to pay down your student loans and how to invest Definitely. and stuff. Um, but he recommends like when you're in school, make coffee at home and make food at home. Definitely. And I am doing that more often. I have a subscription to a meal box service and it's one of, it's really great. Uh, I can cancel it for weeks. I don't really feel like doing that or if I want to make a big bulk meal. Um, but that has been really convenient and the food is really good. It's not HelloFresh, it's the cheaper one. It's called every plate. <laughs> That's um, awesome. You don't wow. feel like grocery shopping, every plate. It's wonderful. I think I'm gonna have to meal prep just because 
goals. Well, I don't know. When I get to medical school, maybe I won't have the time. We'll see. Take Sunday and do it, you know, like. Yeah, make it a priority is what I feel like I just have to do. Yeah, it's whatever, you know, you have time for whatever you prioritize. That's, That's a big misconception is that you don't have any free time or you don't have any time for anything else but studying. But you don't retain anything if you don't take breaks. So meal prep, you know, chop veggies, do whatever, you know, on your Sunday studies. I want to keep going if you're willing to keep going, but I just need to take a quick restroom break. Yeah, go. Right right back. (laughs) Doing the pee-pee dance while you were talking the whole time. Like, I want to listen, but man, I'm just like dancing, dancing because I like, I really needed to go. Um, Because my diet, I don't know if you're following my regular page, I have this diet thing I'm doing with some friends. So I've been drinking a lot of water and eating good food. So yeah, no, I have to use the bathroom after pretty much every lecture. (laughs) Do you drink a lot of water? I do drink a lot of water. That's good. Um, I was going to share that one of the ways that I'm trying to prepare for medical school as far as savings account is right this year, I'm trying to max my Roth IRA so that while I'm in school, at least it'll be gaining that like 8% interest like average yeah, that's nice i so, um i do not have the knowledge of all of that so it's not that difficult and hopefully with student loans even later i can still keep contributing like a hundred dollars two hundred dollars yeah. or something you know put it in a budget or something you know i am trying to what they have you heard of debt snowballing like debt snowballing debt snowballing like so, it gets out of hand and just keeps compiling? Sort of, yeah. So like it's a big Dave Ramsey method where any extra money you have goes towards paying off your smallest debt. And mm-hmm. then once you pay that off, the money you would have spent paying for that minimum That's payment, yeah, you have to pay off the next biggest one. Well, the only you know true debt I have to pay off right now is my car because my car is in my name. It is mine. Yeah. Um, I don't have very much left to pay on it. So I'm trying my best to get it paid off because now, you know, I'm about to move into an apartment where the rent is honestly really great. A lot of my friends don't believe me when my, I say my rent is less than, you know, $400 base. It's, I know you're fake. Crazy dude. I was thinking like 600, 800. That's amazing. No, four. I'm splitting it with my, uh, so we got my, my friend and I got a two bedroom, two bath apartment. Um, it is, you know, good size. We've got an enclosed patio. Um, Utilities included? Hmm? Utilities included? Say that one more time. Utilities included? No, not included. Okay, thank God. That would have been way too good of a deal. Right. So with utility, our goal was with utilities included to stay under $500 or close to $500 for both of us when we split everything. And that's what we were able to do. So nice. that's really awesome wonderful it's wonderful but you know having that on top of paying a car note because my car note used to be the only bill that i paid yeah. um, to build my credit well i'm trying there. to i'm trying to pay mine down too before medical school and i should be finishing up in may if everything goes well that's nice yeah i still have i'm supposed to pay it off by i think july 2022 um but i try to budget in money every month to pay that and then any extra money that if i don't need to like put it back for later i'll roll it over and put that in there as well so it's not a set set amount every month but it's what i'm able to send along with my actual car payment that makes sense just like the excess excess of what you would have saved on like 
make believe 10 coffees in that week. You pay right. that excess. Exactly. Um, I follow, I've heard of Dave Ramsey. I follow Ramit. He's um, a guy who wrote an aptly named, I will teach you to be rich. And he named it like that to be kind of facetious. Uh, it's just like, you get rich through time. You get enriched through the idea of compound interest. And right. so he teaches you how to invest in your Roth IRA, how to set up certain savings account for different things. So like um, emergency fund, like we we're talking about for me, I'm saving for travel and I'm saving for clothes and I'm saving for my med school dorm. Right. Yeah. I've definitely, uh, I feel like I've heard of that book or I'll teach you to be rich. It's one that I, I gifted to a lot of friends at one point when it was on sale. That's cool. Dude, I have so many things. I, I want to kind of move along onto like actual medical school. So um, can you share your study habits? Oh, we're still trying to figure those out. <laughs> it, listen, it's a, you're not going in there. It's a process for sure. Um, you know, the first test I kind of went in, you know, I knew it was going to be difficult and I did not expect, you know, I set pretty realistic expectations for my score on that test. Because, <laughs> you know, they've switched over to a more step style testing approach, okay. um, which for those that don't know, step one is the first board exam we will take um, after year two. And they use, um, it's the National Board of Medical Examiners that gives those tests and they use old step test questions for their custom exams. Uh -huh. So those exams that we take, it gets us used to this style of step questions. So that way when we get there, we're not like, oh my gosh, this is so hard. Yeah. Wow. Um, you know, reading through a whole paragraph or two of clinical, not junk, but clinical junk to finally get to a question that kind of finally gets the question that kind of has nothing to do with what you just read. It's a skill and it takes a little while to master, especially, you know, you've got so many resources out there to figure out, you know, what's high yield and we were all under the impression, I don't know what it was, but everyone talks about the um, first aid for the USMLE step one. Yeah, the big book, the big orange yeah, book. Yeah, big book. Um, it is wonderful, but it is just high yields. Oh. It's not everything. Like we were all under the impression that if we studied first aid, we would be golden. See, I thought that too. Ask, that they would never ask us off the cool, off the wall questions. It's just not true, you know? you still have to learn to the best of your ability, everything. And once I figured that out, um, I got a little bit better. It's definitely a learning curve, learning how to read those questions. Though. So how are you studying now? Are you just going through the lectures or, and supplementing with the first aid book? Yeah, so I go through lectures and watch them. Um, if I'm not at the school in person, I'll watch them on one and a half to two times speed. It just kind of depends on how fast the lecturer talks. Mm -hmm. I'm not able to keep up. And then after I do that, I'll take a lunch break and I'll go after that, I'll go into um, some of the outside resources that I have. So I use um, USMLE RX is the main resource I use for good short video blips that are based on topics in first aid um, made by different physicians and medical students around the country to help you with focusing your studying. They're really great. I also use Sketchy Medical, which if you haven't heard of Sketchy, you definitely will. 
And if you can split an account with friends, <laughs> that's what we did. We cheated the system and split an account. I didn't hear that. Nobody heard that. Nobody does so, that for Chegg either. Six of us went in on an account for Sketchy and we just kind of all use it at different times of the day. Uh-huh. Just to like, kick the other person off. That makes sense. But, uh, it's really great. So what the, pre- the premise behind it is they put all of this information into a symbolic picture with a theme. I've heard of it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So if anybody, if you've ever seen like a sketchy joke, uh, it's, they're really funny once you finally watch. The yeah. They're like funny pictures, right? Or yeah, like, really, like funny really colorful color book they pictures. Really great for learning drugs. Oh. Um, that's what I mainly use them for drugs and, uh, yeah, I have this random memory in my mind of when my ex fiance was in her first year of medical school and I saw one of the pictures. So I'm just like tapping into that. Yes. Those, uh, it's really great for microbiology and for pharmacology. Um, they have other topics too, but those are the big ones. And then I also use, we are provided with some outside resources and subscriptions. Uh So we get, through our school, a copy of Pathoma, which is just pathology stuff for all the systems. We get access to Boards and Beyond, um, which is another similar res- uh, res- outside resource, but the videos are a lot more technical. They're more like PowerPoint lectures and they're a little mm-hmm. longer too. The other one we use is Lecturio. And we use, um, Lecturio for practice quizzes and stuff. So we'll get assigned a set of questions and we'll do that as part of our assignments. Because according to contrary relief, you have other assignments in medical school sometimes to boost so your grade. These are all resources. How are you actually, are you taking notes? Are you doing Anki? Are you just re- reviewing yeah, the so videos? I'll, I'll take notes on the videos. Um, and I will also go through practice questions at the end of the video uh-huh. to kind of recognize the pattern of what they may ask for something. So say I've got a question on rheumatoid arthritis. I'm going to try to look for the clinical keywords for that um, to get an idea of what they might ask in the question stem. Now, a lot of these questions are two hit questions. They'll ask, they'll give you a whole clinical picture. They won't tell you the disease expecting you to know it. And then they'll ask you about the treatment of it. Mm -hmm. So you have to understand the clinical picture to get to the disease but you then, also, if you know the disease, you have to know how to treat it. Got it. It's a, it's a lot more difficult than I uh, expected. It's kind of like the MCAT, a little bit more ramped. Mm. A little more what? Ramped, like. Like I next level. MCAT, yeah, you have to read very carefully. Very wow. carefully. Um, uh. So that was, that's my biggest thing. Um, Brent, you, I kind of study for different, different ways for different courses too. So we're focusing a lot on anatomy right now. And I have a um, 3D atlas on my iPad that I I've use. seen that one. It looks super I cool. I love 3D anatomy. Um, it's really cool. We are doing the upper extremities right now and there's lots of muscles. <laughs> so I use that. Um, my mom was, um, my mom's a physical therapist. And when she went to PT school, she had a copy of the Netter's um, Netter's anatomy, um, Atlas that she cannot find now. And she wanted to gift it to me when I started school, but what year, like 1970s, 1980s, uh, 1990s, 90s, but this is my new copy. I bought it for this semester. It's wonderful. The pictures are beautiful. Uh, (laughs) 
they're really detailed, but they also have a Netter's Anatomy Atlas app. And what you can do is all of the You can plate. zoom in and stuff, right? Zoom, but you can also make the plates blank and you can test yourself. Mm. So like, yeah, I can cover all of the, you know, labels Terms. on the yeah. diagram, but on the app, you can pick the plate you want to look at and just boop. Was that the eye or is that something else? Yeah, that is the eye. Oh man, give me a quiz. I know it all. The ciliary ganglion is what it what it was on the left. Oh, okay. How how fitting. <laughs> right? What are the odds? Look, I have an eye over here. I don't know if you can see it. Oh my gosh. A good friend of mine I got love. a good friend of mine got it for me. That's so cool. Yeah, so I use this because with anatomy, it's kind of like you either know it or you don't. Yeah. Um, but they won't test it like that in in BME step examinations. Um, they're not like lab exams. Sometimes they'll give you a picture. Sometimes they'll say someone, for an example, someone was stabbed in the shoulder in this muscle and can't feel their hand. What nerves are affected? That makes sense. So you have to know, yeah, it's- That's so aggressive, come on. It's a very layered question, very layered questions, but they're very pointed. Yeah. If you have the info, if you know the information, you know the relationships, that's a big thing in anatomy is relationships. Mm -hmm. you'll, you'll be able to answer the questions. I'm still figuring out how to do that. Question interpretation is a huge skill that you have skill. to learn. So I have a saved document that I am planning to read, which I probably need to do this weekend that talks about um, how to tackle those style questions. Okay. There are a lot of different strategies for how to read the questions um, that could help you get to the answer not only faster but with more accuracy because my issue is I can get down to two answers and I end up picking the wrong one because I don't trust my knowledge Dude, same. that was me all on the MCAT um, <gasps> as far as studying what's it called uh, I was talking to Sam about this last week she would rewrite her powerpoints just word for word in different colors just rewrite it all through the first two years I, I do learn partially by reading and writing but there's just so much information that there's absolutely no way I'm going to I was like, how did you do that? That was so much time to rewrite, but I mean, it worked for her. Drawing, yeah, drawing things is really helpful for me too, especially for anatomy. Like we just did brachial plexus. And the only way to learn the brachial plexus is if you draw it um, and label it. I'll take your word for it because I don't even know what that is. I'm going to assume in this area. I don't know. Yeah. So all the nerves that innervate all of that, they form this big knot. Oh my God. Um, so uh, there's two other things I want to talk about on med school specifically and specifically to you. Um, yeah. you're in a relationship in medical school, right? I am. How is that, uh, balancing a relationship and being in medical school? Is he bugging you to hang out all the time? Is he distracting you? No, actually he's, um, I could not ask for a better person to be in a relationship with. He is not medical whatsoever. Uh, he is 26. He finished college in 2017, so he's been out of school for a while, and he's been working, um, had a few different jobs, but the one he has more recently, he's, it's an eight to five, you know, so majority of the day, he's driving a van, he can't talk to me, mm -hmm. so there's really no worry of him being like, what are you doing, what are you doing, what are you doing, because he knows I'm in school, text he knows me. I'm text me. what are you doing, yeah, what are you doing, um, he knows I can talk, talk and what's really nice is that he is very supportive of me 
and my goals. He mm. is definitely worried about the amount of debt I'm going to be in. <laughs> But mainly it's because he can't fathom doing that for himself. He's like, you know, knowing you, you're very driven. You know exactly what you want out of your life and you're going to go for it. So you being in that amount of debt worries me because it's a lot of debt, but I know it doesn't worry you. And because it doesn't worry you, I'm going to try to like not. It's a lot when you see the zeros just add up and you're like, I've never even can imagine that amount of money. Yeah, no, for sure. When I actually say it out loud, the amount of debt I'll yeah. be in when I finish, I'm like, wow, that's a that's a house, a very nice house. Um, I'm lucky. I'm but, hoping to keep it under a hundred thousand for the first four years, actually, because of the scholarship. Yeah. That would be de- that would be very nice. But he's also uh, he is a very good complement to my personality. I'm very Type A. He's a lot more Type B than I am. Mm. Um, if you're in, do you know the Enneagram? <laughs> yeah, I do. I'm a type A. I send calendar invites to my friends to hang out. So if you're into the Enneagram, I'm type one, which means like very, like the perfectionist, very regimented, mm-hmm. you know, ethical. He is a type seven, which is the enthusiast. And he is very like spontaneous, you know, let's mm-hmm. go do something fun. And he, we balance each other out really well because I get him to focus on his work and his goals and what he wants to do, which um, we've been working on a lot lately because he's had you know questions about what he wants to do for the rest of his life uh, sure. as far as career goes. Um, and he's pretty sure he wants to switch careers. Um, so I've asked him very pointed questions about that and gotten to think about it. Because yeah. um, it's not a fun situation to think about switching jobs, um, yeah. especially at a time like right now. So he just doesn't really want to do it. There's a whole thing uh, called a sunk fallacy cost. Are you aware of it? No. So it's something I've been talking about with my best friend, Kevin, because he's switching from pharmacy to medical school, kind of in the same um, boat. And he's worried yeah. about like, he's not so worried about it anymore, but something we consider is a sunk fallacy cost, which says like, you put so much time into something that you don't want to give up all that time you put into it. So you kind of stay in the same thing because you're too scared to think, man, I wasted all that time on this career when you don't think, man, I could move this career and go to another one and spend so much more time on this new thing that I want to do. You get stuck up on what you're giving up. Definitely. He's a, he doesn't want to go back to school really, but he's a lifelong learner. And if he's bored and not, you know, growing daily, Mm -hmm. it bothers him. So he needs a more stimulating job. Uh, And on the flip side, if I've been in my room for 10, not I don't like, I'm an odd medical student. I don't like to study for 10 hours. I don't think anybody does, but like uh, there are some people that are like, yeah, I studied for 10 hours yesterday. I didn't even pee. It's fine. (laughs) Like, you know, after six hours, I got to get out. I got to go do, you know, something I got to eat. I eat like every two to three hours. I don't need to eat. Eating and peeing is weakness. I could be reviewing my Anki. I know I do a lot. I get a lot. I take a lot of breaks, um, like small breaks, but he by like six or seven o'clock I'm like I'm done I can't do anymore so we'll cook dinner um he gets me out of my comfort zone I've become a lot more of an outdoorsy person because of him yeah um I actually go camping I fish um and all of that is because he taught me how to do that and that's what we do for fun so he's the definitely the more adventurous side and he is able to see the um my vision with me um that's, that's important it's uh-huh. for someone to not only see the right now, but to see the bigger picture of what 
you as a you know now medical student eventual physician will be doing it's not always going to be sitting in sitting in an office for all hours of the day staring at the computer and ignoring yeah. you know people in your life <laughs> you feel like you both are aligned on what you see in the future definitely definitely you know the biggest things uh for us are growing together and communicating with each other about um where our heads are at mm-hmm. as far as like what we want for our each of our lives. Communication is huge. Definitely huge. So, you know, I always kind of, I guess I'm apologetic when sometimes I'll have to study on weekends. I'll be like, hey, I need to study. Uh, Don't talk to me. And he's like, (laughs) don't study. He's like, you know, get it together. What are you doing? Um, Like today, today was not a very productive study day, which I have to pack to move out on Friday anyway. So I did get a lot of that done, but trying to look at the muscles of the forearm today. And I also had, um, I've been watching, watching rain on Netflix. So I had that on, on my computer and I've got my 3d Atlas and I'm like, I am not retaining any of this, (laughs) but he called and, you know, talked to me because he hadn't talked to me all day because he's been at work, but like what do you he's like oh you better get on it what are you doing like why are you watching netflix so he's very encouraging he doesn't quite understand what i do um i tried talking to him about t-cells the other day he's like what's a t-cell you have to remember i don't know what you're talking about most of the time yeah but he listens and that's a big thing is having someone that will listen yeah um even if they don't understand and just being interested in what you're interested in being engaged for sure so it's a two-way street as well. So if your partner is really interested in, you know, fishing, um, well, every once in a while, listen to them ramble about fishing. And, you know, now it's one of the things that, one of the interests I share with him and what we like to do um, on weekends. Yeah. Yeah. Weekends, we'll take trips and all of that. Do you that. schedule like dates throughout the week or do you have like a set schedule or anything like that? We try to, our schedule kind of has fallen into where we try to see each other every other day. Um, in the evening usually because he's off work and then by six or seven o'clock I've been going you know lectures studying since eight in the morning Mm. and I'm tired and I don't want to do anything else and I need to eat so usually during the week we'll you know get together at his house and we'll cook a meal we'll cook dinner Um, we actually enjoy doing that I know some people don't like other people in their kitchen that does sound fun though to me it does, it, it's fun to you know just kind of connect over making a you know shared meal and all of that he he gardens so a lot of the stuff we uh put in those meals comes from you know his yard and all of that oh but so it it's just, fresh that's super awesome it is fresh it's just it's totally possible to have someone like that and honestly i my mom was very concerned about me coming in with someone she was like you know you're gonna meet also you're gonna meet so many people in medical school you know you'll have classmates that date each other and I was like you know I don't it is what it is um it's what it is you know if yeah. don't let anybody discourage you if you're coming in with a significant other um or heck if you're already married yeah my friend Sam got married in medical school and had a kid in medical school like you know I've got um I've got a friend that she, we went to undergrad together. And as soon as we graduated, she and her now husband got married and they moved up here. And, you know, they're talking about when they want to have kids and stuff too. Mm. So they're at that stage of life, you know, 
my oldest classmate is 38, my youngest is 20. So you've got uh, so many ranges of life. You know, yeah. I've got classmates that have three kids. I've got classmates that have four dogs, you know? Oh it's just so different. What did I hit there? Your ulnar nerve. I know, I was gonna ask, like, you were gonna know it. <laughs> okay. Just so. like that. <laughs> I knew you were gonna talk about it because I was gonna say pronator terrace. I'm assuming you knew like this whole area. I only sort of know that whole area, but that's your ulnar nerve. It hurt. Yeah. Um, so we talked about relationships in medical school. Um, another thing that only you and I can probably talk about, or at least people from the next four years is you had COVID, right? I did have COVID. What was it like? And then how did your school rep respond to COVID? And I think they went to in-person classes at one point. They have gone into gone to in-person classes now. Oh, having COVID and trying to do school is so hard. Like, relatively speaking, my case of COVID was not severe. Um, very severe. You know, I wasn't hospitalized. I didn't have difficulty breathing, but I was sick for a full 10 days and still had aches and pains afterwards because of uh. it. Um, I, I couldn't, the first five days, were you know my, for me and I hate saying this people are as people are like it's like the flu and it's not but very mild flu-like symptoms for about five days and then they stopped and like what like, muscle ache fever most, I didn't have fever the entire time mostly it was a headache a cough um I eventually lost my taste and smell I had chest tightness which isn't a typical symptom for me when I get sick so that was what made me go get tested yeah. And so after that five days, I was like, yeah, I'm in the clear, you know, I'm still in quarantine, but I'm feeling better. And then the body aches and fatigue <laughs> set in. I could not, like I told my course director, I was like, yeah, I can take my quiz Monday. It's fine. I couldn't sit in my computer chair for more than an hour and look oh my at my God. computer without having like a full circular headache and spinal pain. Just red, just pain. Oh, it was so terrible. It was awful. And I felt like I was losing my mind almost because it was, you know, only me that could feel it. And I was like, I'm fine, but I'm not. So many I'm alive, but I'm dead. <laughs> so many days during that quarantine, I literally just laid on my floor and cried about it. Um, it takes a mental toll, you know. I got the but vaccine and I had some symptoms after. So I kind of imagine it's the same symptoms, but I laid in my, well, I'm stupid. So I laid in my bed for most of the day. And at one point I got so annoyed. I just got up and I went for a walk for like two hours. Yeah. Yeah. So symptoms from, you know, side effects from the vaccine, but like 10 times. Times 10. Yeah. I just got the vaccine as well. And I think because my, but this is my body's third run in with the spike protein because I had it. And then I got two doses of vaccine. Um, people were talking about how their second dose of the vaccine, they had a lot more side effects and worse side effects i didn't really have any yeah. all i had was a swollen cervical lymph node like right and you here. got the little the little like pain from the shot right yeah i had arm pain but that went away pretty quickly like within 24 hours my arm mm -hmm. still a little swollen like right here but it's you know my little, my little lymph node's going down this is interesting um so you know how you mentioned the spike protein yeah so um, the mRNA vaccine transcribes to make the proteins, the spike protein, so that our body can attack it and build up right. the T cells so that whenever, or the B cells, whenever we have a second 
exposure to the virus, we have a faster response, right? Yes. Yeah. So what I've been curious about, and nobody's been able to explain it, um, I guess I haven't really researched it too much, but everybody's saying the vaccine may only be effective for three months, six months, something like that, right? What I don't understand is why, if you're targeting that spike protein and all COVID, vac COVID viruses are called COVID corona specifically because of that spike protein, then how are we not going to be immune to the SARS-CoV-2 virus? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and they're definitely still working on it. Um, we've talked about this. We've had multiple meetings about, you know, virus uh, or vaccine myths, um, just because, you know, we're on the for as students, we're on the forefront of this pandemic For sure. and squashing any misinformation when we can, because we just took immunology mm -hmm. um, last semester at the very end of the semester when all of this vaccine stuff was starting to roll out. Uh, so being able to squash any misinformation because we're more approachable than doctors was very, uh, they kept encouraging us to do that um, when we could. So I think the biggest thing we talked about with what you're mentioning is that, you know, there are some vaccines that we have to boost every once in a while. Tdap, sure. tetanus, mm -hmm. um, you know, your immunity doesn't stay forever. It stays for a long time, but not necessarily forever. Same thing with um, a lot of us when we came into school had to get another set of hepatitis B mm -hmm. vaccines um, because our immunity, our uh, antibody titers were so low because the last time we got those was when we were babies and we're now all at least in our 20s. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Because I was thinking like, I don't know why, but I just assumed we had the B cells forever and they were there you know? Right. Well, like once your body doesn't come into contact with it for a while, and like me, I don't know if there's pretty much, I don't think there's any place I would have come into contact with hepatitis B, but there might've been, but the chance is no, so low now that my body was like, well, I don't need that. I've seen, Makes I don't sense. need that. Anymore. Um, what was the other one? Your body's doing maintenance and taking care of all of these things. Oh, I don't need this. This isn't important. Let's get rid of this. Definitely. And definitely, uh, definitely, uh, flu vaccines and I know people are like people do, do or don't get the flu vaccine based on their yeah. experiences with it but the reason we have a flu you know a change in the flu vaccine every year is because flu viruses mutate so quickly that every single year we have to figure out you know which one's going to be the hardest hitter and vaccinate mostly against that strain yeah, that one makes sense to me yeah but that's, that's the thing is we're probably um, going to have to get booster shots of some kind with the coronavirus vaccine. They just don't know how often that's going to be. And people are of the mindset that getting the vaccine will keep you from getting COVID or spreading COVID. And all of the studies really just said it protects from severe COVID-19 infection. 94 to 95% effective against, against severe infection. So if you were to get it, it just wouldn't be as bad or you would be asymptomatic. And they're also not sure if you could still pass it on to others. You know, one of the things I hate people say a lot about the flu vaccine is, man, I'd never get the flu vaccine because I only get sick when I get the flu vaccine. And I just get You're so annoyed by that. I know. <laughs> and I'm just like, I don't know how to tell you nicely that you're being stupid right now. It's not even that it's just stupid. It's, it's yeah, just, it's, it's, it's misinformed. Just information yeah. um and people are scared of what they don't understand you know for sure they don't understand that their body that's how your body reacts to something that's not supposed to be there in your body you know people who get tattoos 
understand this very well. Um, your body doesn't like ink in, you know, in your skin, you know, mm. you get a, it's a foreign substance. So I have a tattoo on my side. Uh, my, I got it last, no, two years ago now, I think. And it faded really quickly after I got it the first time, partially because it wasn't very well done. Um, and second of all, my body is just like, no, we don't want this in our body. It was my first one. So my body had never come into contact with tattooing before. That's interesting. So I, I didn't know that. That's super interesting. I got it touched up recently and it looks so much better because my body's like, okay, yeah, I've seen this before. It's fine. Um, you're good to go. Now it still did swell and, you know, do nasty things, but it didn't because it's an open wound on your skin. Is that the innate immunity? I'm trying to go back to my MCAT days. Yeah, so <laughs> I actually I actually learned this from a scientist on TikTok, macrophages like eat the ink and trap it. And that's how it stays in your skin. But once those macrophages die and release the ink, more macrophages come in and eat the ink again. So you've got a constant stream of macrophages eating oh the God. little ink blots in your skin. And so that's how it stays. It's so cool. Oh my God, that's so interesting. And did they stop eating it at yeah. some point? What? Did they stop eating it at some point? Yeah, that's why uh, tattoos fade. And just, oh, okay, really? I hmm. I'm learning a lot today. That's super interesting. Social uh, media, the power of social media. You learn so much. TikTok, you learn so much. That's I am actually not on TikTok. <laughs> I yeah, it's probably for the best. You spend so much time on it. I do. I, that's my love language. I send people TikToks. <laughs> my friend does that too. I'll send like 30 with my other friend who's in Houston. Just send massive amounts of tiktoks and then we'll have to catch up on them tiktoks huh it's like memes but now it's tiktoks yeah and i'm trying to make them but i'm just not that kind of creative you know yeah i don't do the reels on instagram i'm like it's one more thing to add to my plate of trying to do honestly yeah so i had a few personal questions we went through most of them but um i wanted to ask this one's a really super question what's something outside of medicine that you're passionate about i think i can guess the answer at this point well, dance, but now there's not really a whole lot of opportunities for that up here. Okay. Um, just with the nature of the studio culture up here, it's a lot more grade school level and old lady level. There's not really a place for people who were on the verge of being professional dancers and were training towards that, but stopped or, you know, my one of my old teachers teaches at a different studio now and she'll have what she calls a has-been class every now and then. <laughs> so it's like my body still has the muscle memory of being able to do all of that very very well it's just I'm not a beginner you know yeah. I know how to do all of that so I had I haven't taken class in at least six months um which is very sad I do enjoy it you know when I'm able to take class it's very cathartic to go back and do that it's mm. something I know how to do very well. I don't have to think about it. But now I'm very passionate about the gym. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I do go to the gym. I have gone to the gym for the past two years now. And that, that really came about when I stopped dancing. First, I started with running, which I don't do much of anymore, um, mainly because of my feet. I need to get new shoes. Uh -huh. But I started lifting weights and it was a big thing of, I was scared to do it by myself. I was scared to go into the gym at um, the rec center because of all the 
beefy dudes in there that I was afraid of judging me. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, I totally get that. I've been hanging out with like a lot more girls and I've been, you know, that challenge, I have a couple of girls in there that are not really towards weightlifting or don't really know that kind of scope. They do more classes and dancing and, yeah. and cardio kind of stuff. And my other friend, she's like, uh, I want to build, I don't want to lose any more weight, but I want to become more toned. And I was like, no, you want to build muscle. Right. You want to, and you're going to do that by, you know, lifting weights or doing like body weight stuff. Yep. Picking up heavy things and putting them back down. Right. So I didn't really have any issues with getting the form of all of that. It's a little different because your legs aren't turned out. Um, You're a lot, you're in parallel feet a lot. So it's working different muscle groups. Um, But the motions of it are very similar and I know where my body is in space very well. So it did mm-hmm. not take me very long to learn the techniques and all of that on how to lift and how to do it safely. And for a long time, I was very consistent and I started to see more muscle. I started to gain weight, um, which in and of itself is a little hard just mm-hmm. because I went from, you know, being the tall slender ballerina to now having a more athletic build while still still while still being fairly small you know I've in a two-year time span I went from being 110 to 112 to now weighing 130 pounds oh my god wow congratulations thank you that must be all muscle because I don't see like a shred of fat on you well well with muscle gain comes fat gain you can't have a as they like to say you can't have a booty if you don't have some fat you can't it's not possible um but you know for me it's not I don't do a whole lot of the um cutting and bulking and things like that I do it mainly because I enjoy moving my body Mm -hmm. and the changes that have come about because of that have been great I still like to eat I don't really like to restrict my calories and, you know, maintaining that and maintaining the weight I'm at is really what I'm after now. Are you more of like an intuitive eater? Like, you know, when you're full, you have good self-control of when to stop eating. Definitely. And I eat, you know, a lot of, a good bit of snacks throughout the day. Yeah. Um, and I try to eat vegetables, like more vegetables. I was a very picky eater as a kid. Mm-hmm. I did not learn how to eat vegetables until I was in college and cooking my own food. Same dude, we have a terrible diet down here. And that's why I feel like I'm on the opposite spectrum. Whereas if I don't watch what I'm eating, I gain weight really fast um, because I just snack so much and I don't know when to stop. So if something's in front of me, it's going to be gone by the end of the day uh, before this year. Like I've really gotten it under control this year. Yeah. And that it's just different for everybody. You know, mm-hmm. what works for you know you may not work for me and vice versa. Um, but I follow a lot of a good many fitness influencers that, you know, cut and bulk and do all that kind of stuff. And I'm just not super interested in that right now. Sounds exhausting. It's very exhausting. I don't, I've tried tracking macros and things like that. And it just kind of brings me anxiety and I don't, you know, your brain uses so much energy, um, to just sit. I feel like I do nothing all day, but I don't, your brain is working and takes up, you know, what is it like 25% of your body's, uh, glucose oh yeah that sounds about right yeah it's like 25 percent of your daily glucose intake intake goes to your brain it just devours it yeah so the amount of brain work i'm doing i have to eat like every couple hours you know snacks um Mm -hmm. i have to eat breakfast every morning you know just keeping a consistent eating schedule is good but biggest thing right now is i have no motivation to go to the gym what i'm so tired 
I well, I've been going. I've been uh, putting my I put myself back on the plan I was using when I started going to the gym. Yeah. Um, that got me into going to the gym, and it's a great plan. Um, the hardest thing about medical school, though, is my weeks are not consistent as far as my schedule goes. Mm-hmm. So last week was all lectures and for, you know, from eight to 12, and we had a lot of the afternoons off. Well, this week we have labs. So I have to go in Thursday from nine to 12 and be there. And, you know, my thing is I'll throw my gym bag in the back of my car and say there, I have no excuse. I have to go to the gym before I go home now. Thankfully, when I move into my apartment, I am right up the street from Planet Fitness. Yeah. Like not even, um, I could probably walk there if I wanted to, which is really great. So that's a, that's a big uh, thing is it's not more than 10 minutes away, but sometimes putting on the clothes and going to the gym is the hardest part. Yeah. Just lacing up your shoes and showing up and just saying, you know what, I'm going to go and stretch for five minutes. And if I want to leave after that, I can leave, but you're not going to leave. If you, if you go to the gym, you're not going to leave. Right. And I have like I kind of motivate myself by buying fun pre-workout and fun protein. Um, yeah. What is fun? So I started buying from uh, this company that one of the influencers I follow buys uh, reps for and buys from, and it's really good. It tastes yummy. <laughs> yummy powder and pre-workout I've found. It's not like chalky at all. Do you dry scoop? Ugh, oh, I dude. Can't. You're not I a did. real dream girl yet. I did it for a little while when I had like a smaller scooper because I used to just go to Drug Emporium and get like the cheaper uh, pre-workout, which it tastes sure. great. It's wonderful. If you're on a budget, you need some pre-workout amino energy from, I think it's Optimum Nutrition is mm-hmm. what I used to use and I still have a little bit of it left, but I can't, I don't know what it is. I can't dry scoop. It's like, I'll have like a little bit of the powder burst in the top of my mouth and it's just dry and I'm like, yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, no, I paid for that. I have to drink it. <laughs> Can't let it go to waste. That's good caffeine right there. Right. Uh, what was I going to say? I feel like when I get into medical school, so right now I'm working out like about two hours a day and I'm really trying to focus on my stretching because I'm trying to get that pancake forward fold. Yeah. So I can do my handstand, stalter press and all these like crazy things I want to do. And I'm trying to do it all right now because when I get into medical school, I feel like I'm not going to have the time to do the amount of mileage I want to do running. I'm not going to have time to stretch. My workout's going to be shorter. I can't do all these things. So I'm trying to get all out of my system right now. Yeah, you're definitely going to have to figure that out. But honestly, if you wanted to spend two hours in the gym, you probably could. I think I'm going to switch to body weight. So like that it's more time efficient. Like I can do it anywhere and just take my gymnastics rings. Yeah, depending on, you know, your schedule and how y'all decide to go about doing things, whether a lot of your stuff is in person or if it's, you know, online, you can... 2 x your lecture lectures and do all of that and set a schedule for yourself and say okay at five o'clock no matter where i am in my studies i'm getting off i'm going to the gym and i'm gonna spend an hour or two hours there however long you want to like spend there and don't skimp on yourself yeah don't do it do you have um so i know a lot of people i mean i'm sure you do advocate for going to the gym and working on your mental health so the gym is one thing that's really good for your mental health. Do you have any other practices that you do? Like, do you meditate? Do you do yoga? So I like to journal. I'm a, um, I'm Christian. I am a, what they, oh, wait, do we have, is that a passion planner? It is a passion planner. Wait, where's mine? Hang on, you're going to love this. 
Oh my god. Is it the green one? It's the green one. <laughs> Matt. Wait, hold on, hold it up. I want to take a screenshot of that. That's amazing. That's, fun. That's so funny. I love it. You held it up. I was like, oh my gosh, I have that. That's my so, passion yeah. planner. And then I have like a regular journal where I just write down like ideas for this and stuff, just like out of my just random scribble note. Yeah. So I need to do my end of month reflection for January. But you're behind. I did mine. I know. I need we to should do, do it together. I'm going to do that as soon as I get off this with you. I mean, that's Dude, what next, I'm gonna do. next month, we should meet and do it or like yeah. schedule it together. I'm so down. That sounds wonderful. So I did mine. I definitely. I journal in here, so I, uh, from last week, so I've do you done journal? This, I've done this thing recently where I ask on Facebook for friends and family to send me Bible verses, like their favorite Bible verse, and I'll put one for each week to kind of meditate over for the week, and it's a good reminder. Um, oh, that's nice. So I'm seeing, like, that's my thing is I want to be able to read the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to finish the bio, entire Bible, but it's, you know, it's a hard thing to try and figure out, you know. It's like studying because it's so, yeah. yeah. It's definitely like studying, but anytime I actually do it and I, you know, my other journal is more like a prayer journal. I call it kind of a stream of consciousness prayer journal where I try not to overthink what I'm saying and just kind of have a talk with God. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of like he's my dad. I just talk to him. No matter how I'm feeling, I don't try to make it flowery. I just kind of say what's on my mind and it's, been a really cool practice for me when I actually do it because having that down in writing and seeing what you know situations and people I've been praying for and going yeah. back and reading that and seeing how that got answered is so cool it's the coolest thing ever some of the uh you know biggest things I've prayed for especially with you know going to medical That's school cool. and all of that it's kind of like a timeline of my relationship with God mm-hmm. it's very it's a very cool thing to look back and it's very satisfying um and it definitely strengthens my faith which is a big thing um i feel like a lot of people think that not necessarily religion, but like faith and science can't go together um like if you're a scientist you can't believe that there's a god or something like that but do you know francis collins i do not so i'm not religious myself but i did really respect francis collins he's a one of, if you look at the task force, he's like right behind Dr. Fauci. He's a tall white guy. Yeah. And he says that science does not disprove God. It actually supports God. So you should Absolutely. look into him. He's a physician yeah. at the highest level with the NIH. Great source for you to research. I definitely feel his sentiment. You know, the level of complex detail that goes into the way our bodies are made. Yeah, I told um, my friend this. I was like, man, when I was studying biology, I was like, everything works so well. And he's like, yeah, like it was all by some kind of design. And I was like, screw you. <laughs> it's so no. good. Yeah. yeah. But uh, that's a big thing. I definitely wanted to make a, um, I, try, I try not to say Instagram post. It is an Instagram post though, but like more like a blog post about, you know, how I as a medical professional and a scientist reconcile that with my faith. Because I think mm. that's a big issue for people and having some even if it's not a religion even if it's more of a spirituality practice like Mm -hmm. meditation having something to fall back on when times get tough like that you become more resilient um it helps lift you up for sure i agree like i would never want to take away somebody's faith from them because it's so powerful very very powerful um okay 
Man, we went through a lot today. We're already, on, we're already two hours past, but uh, I'm just going to hit you with some fun questions. Yeah. So we can end it off. Um, coffee, black or with cream? Oh, black coffee. A little bit of stevia. A little bit of stevia, okay. Favorite Instagram influencer besides me? <laughs> besides you. Ooh. I know it's a tough choice. I know. I love Kritika at um, A Critical Look. She's the coolest. Uh, we check on each other a lot. We a lot. Um, there are about six different women that started a um, medical student girls group me on Instagram, and we'll check in with each other every now and again. We used to talk a whole lot before school started. But so the page now, is a critical look. Yeah. At and is that a, run? Go ahead. Um, it's spelled with a K though. At a critical look. Um. And is it she, six people who run that page together or is that separate, the, the group you No, doing? it's just Kritika, but she was part of that group message that mm. was made. Um, and we connected. She's very good at, uh, I think she's got her master's in public health, but she okay. is um, very good at educating people um, on current events and global health issues um, in a way that's fun and non-judgmental. Mm-hmm. Um, so you come in and she's very like, hey, yes, welcome. Come learn with me. I'm learning too. It's wonderful. Um, but she's also a first year medical student and her path to medicine has been very small, uh, tumultuous, but she's taken it in stride and she's one of the most positive people. Where does she I've go? Met. Maybe she should be the next one that I talk to. She's in California. I think she would love to do it, honestly. Let me, let me put that, because one of my goals, and I shared this with you, is I wanted to do all the um, Texas schools and then eventually all the... Um, nation schools d-o-n-m-d yeah uh, okay yeah. next question cool. did you have fun i had a lot of fun i know this dude was, we talked for so long we did talk for so long but we've never actually talked like face to face so i think we kind of had to get it out yeah um i or you already know this one do you remember our inky giveaway yes i think i'm doing another at 500 um, just because I feel like it's a good tool for people, especially if they're getting into pre-med. <laughs> Definitely. I feel like I should do something soon. We can talk about it. We'll do something together. Yeah. Um, next question. Do you agree? Imposter syndrome is just a fancy word for insecurity. I heard this today. Oh, that's hard because I have imposter syndrome a whole lot and I don't feel like I'm an insecure person, but there are certain things that I like. Oh, it's so annoying. I do this to myself every single week. I made a 77 on my quiz on Monday. Technically, I passed, and that's really good. But then our <laughs> the court class average for the quiz, and it was an 84. I was like, I'm not supposed to be here. It's, it's <laughs> um, and that's not true. I was like okay with my grade until I, that's not the thing. I'm always okay with my grade until I see the course average and realize I'm not doing as well as I thought I was. Comparison and is the thief of joy. Definitely, hmm, very much when it comes to medical school. Uh, don't compare yourself to your classmates. Your classmates will try to give you all their study strategies, and you just got to figure out what works for you. For sure. Okay. So, agree or disagree? Agree to an extent. Gun to your head. Agree or disagree? I agree. Yeah. Okay. I just yeah. I know. I can say that too. It's it's hard, but yeah, I think I agree too. Okay, if you couldn't be in healthcare, what would you do for a career? Ooh, that's tough because I never had a backup plan. Um, I don't like backup plans. 
no I'm like I never there was never a plan b never like I just couldn't imagine myself doing anything else but I would probably join a dance company um of some kind of modern contemporary company I have been told for a very long time I do not have the legs or the feet to be a prima ballerina but I'd probably live you know do well in the uh, like the background of a big mm. ballet company but smaller modern companies would probably be where I shine the most or I've always been really good with grammar and editing um English so teacher I, not even an English teacher like blog a, writer blog writer or an editor of some kind because I'm good with writing but I you know my mom brings me all of her stuff to proofread mm-hmm. for her because she likes to use commas like sprinkles and I don't <laughs> my high school teachers taught me well but I think I could see myself being like an editor for a book like for a book uh, publishing firm or something like that that's amazing commas like sprinkles I've never heard that that's so funny you put them everywhere okay and then I have one question that I posted on Instagram and my friend responded do you feel like you could have done anything better the MCAT the MCAT the MCAT for sure um, really, you got a I great mean, score definitely got a great score and we talked about that a little bit but I feel like I could have gone in with more of a strategy and it's just kind of that thing where you know we're all our own worst critics especially Mm -hmm. me I have a constant little critical voice in my head that's like you're not doing a good job and I have to be like shut up Um, and that little critical voice once I got into the Instagram med like med community and saw how dedicated people were to their study time with the MCAD and you know, their score goals and seeing my score goal, score goal, I was like, I was doing the bare minimum. What am I doing? <laughs> what? Um, Same. But it just has to do with your goals and you kind of have to just put blinders on, especially when, you know, even when you get into medical school, you know, my goal is to come out of this being a well-rounded, compassionate person with a medical degree and not um, an information station. Mm. So knowledgeable, but also compassionate and relatable. So if that means I have to make a 77 on some quizzes to actually, you know, stay sane and have a life, then that's okay. You mm-hmm. know, some people, their goal is to be an absolute gunner and get a hundreds on everything. And that is no longer my goal. I've been exceptional my whole life. It's time to take a break. <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. Um, what was I going to say? I was going to comment on the MCAT, I think. Oh man, when you lose your mind been a good two hours though um man i am really just losing it i had like a couple of things that i wanted to say at the end because i pretty much went through everything i wanted to talk about today and i really was going through your whole instagram page and being like what could we talk about yeah and sometimes i look at my old instagram post um from that page i'm like wow even just in the it hasn't even been a year yet and i've changed so much yeah um I've been following what's his face a lot. Like, like I get a lot of inspiration from seeing all these interesting people that also have Instagrams and the one that's really been like niche, but I've been seeing a lot more of his posts lately is the Latino pre-med guy, the Latino pre-med dad, I think. He's a not page. I think you do. He's a non-trad father. He's Latino. Hmm. Yeah. It's been really inspiring because he's sharing everything. Yeah, bless her health is another one too. She's a single mom with three kids, she's a second year medical student. And she is like, we are passing and that's it. And that's okay. And I'm, you know, she's, she's, it, how, how do you do that? Single mom with three kids. 
Yeah. I don't understand. Where do you find the time? I can barely do it having no kids. It's probably the Just same, my- though, as like when you were talking about how you are better at scheduling when you're so busy. It's probably what it is. Definitely. All right. Well, that was great. I had a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Is there anything else yeah. you want to close with? Uh, don't doubt yourself. Don't doubt that you can do it. Uh, oh, I remember what I was going to talk about. Brene Brown with the shame. So like shame and insecurity. That's one of the things like whether one person listens to this or 100 people listen to this, it's helping me get more comfortable with feeling uncomfortable. Definitely. I, um, I actually gave my copy of Daring Greatly um, for a book swap because we have a book club here too that we started within our med school class. Um, so we did a book swap for Christmas and I got a book from one of my classmates that's kind of got giving me Bridgerton vibes, but it's a mo- murder mystery. It's going to be great. Oh my God. I could and recommend so many good books to you. I gave her my copy of Daring Greatly because I was like, what am I going to give her? Um, but I wrote in the front and I was like, you know, this book helps me um, start to become an aspiring good enoughist instead of a perfectionist. And, you know, made me let go and step into the year like I use a lot of the vocabulary that's in the book yeah. um to write a note and I just told her to keep it and I was like you know if you want to pass it on to somebody else do that and I'm just going to get myself another copy because it's just yeah. such a good book is that do you know who Tim Ferriss is no actually Tim Ferriss is important or not important but he is famous for the four-hour work week saying we don't have to work in eight to five blah 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 mm. Well, the reason I want to touch on it is because he always asks this question to his interviewers or his interviewees, what book would you give to others? Or what book have you received or what book have you most often gifted to others? Oh, I don't really gift books that often because a lot of the people in my life don't really read. But <laughs> um, I gifted this one. I will teach you to be rich. I think I gave away like six copies. And my friend Kevin, I gave him one and he gave away like another 10 copies. I would definitely gift Daring Greatly. Um, I don't know. I would have to look at my books again. Being Mortal, we had to read Being Mortal for um, for school. And it's about the science of aging and how medicine has basically failed our older population because we don't know. We treat aging like a disease and not as like a stage of life that everyone goes through. It's something to fix rather than to be, you know, to, uh, rather than a time to figure out like what that person actually wants for the rest of their life that they're on this earth. Really eye-opening book. We can age gracefully for sure. Yes. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I really, really had a lot of fun. Yes, so fun. Thank you for inviting me to do this, honored. <laughs> All right. Before we become any more awkward, I'm going to say good night. Okay. Good night. Okay. Bye bye. Thank you for coming. Thank you bye. for being a part of this. <laughs> I'm going to leave that all in. We're done. We're done. Okay. Bye. <laughs>